Hey guys, welcome back to Monday Warfare, the battles within. We're on episode 20 now, and a nice round number for a very special episode of Monday Warfare. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me is Steve Ekstad as we continue our journey down the history of the Monday Night War. Welcome back, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, we made it. This is the turning point. This is it. This will begin things, yeah. Uh, what we're referring to is we finally made it to WCW moving to the two-hour format here on May 27th, 1996. This is the very first week that Monday Nitro goes to two hours, which means the format of our show, Monday Warfare, has also changed. Rather than doing two episodes of Raw and two episodes of Nitro every week, we're going to do one episode of Raw, one episode of Nitro every week, so that way we have plenty of time to discuss all of the stuff going on behind the scenes, in the news, as well as on your TV screens every Monday night. And uh, yeah, so here we go. It's our first Raw against our first two-hour Nitro this week. Yeah, the, the business is never the same after to this day, May 27, 1996. So uh, it's forever changed for good, bad, or indifferent, however you feel. WCW definitely taking another step in the direction. Another battle won here uh, by WCW. Uh, yeah. They're... they're <laughs> As uh, we get going, we're going to start. We usually start with Monday Nitro because it's the more lively, fresh-type TV show every week. But we're going to flip things now. Now that Nitro's going to two hours, we're going to look at Raw first. So everybody get ready with your old WWF Raw. If you're going to play it on the screen while we talk about it. Uh, May 27th, 1996, we go back in time. And we're going to do Raw, and then we'll do Nitro because Nitro's two hours. So it's going to be fun to look at Nitro and figure out what they put on before raw and what they put on during raw and that's another reason why we've kind of flipped the script here as far as how we handle the show but before we get into raw just a couple pieces of news and notes first brian pillman we talked about his injury in recent weeks here and the monday warfare program My, brian pillman had a meeting with vince mcmahon on may 23rd and had a meeting set with eric bischoff coming up on may 28th but that meeting never actually takes place steve it was expected that pillman uh, would make a decision as to which group He's going to be going with shortly the betting line, says DeMeltz. Seems to be he's going to the WWF as he and WCW are far apart on money figures. Pillman still wants to continue to do interviews in ECW and eventually build to, uh, to do one match with Shane Douglas there, which apparently WWF was agreeable in letting him do. Pillman was expected to get a major push on ECW TV beginning this week, but because of his injury, that match is still a couple of months away. Of course, that never even actually happens pillman was scheduled to appear at the ecw arena show on june 1st to start back the shane douglas angle they did get it started and then they cooled it off a little bit and then they get it started again and then this injury happens and we never actually get to see brian pillman and shane douglas continue this feud yeah it started off really hot and it would have been fun i would have enjoyed that in ecw and it's been a another great i think angle and match in 96 under their hat, but uh, it's unfortunate injuries kind of derailed the, all that. So we know where Pillman's headed. He's headed to the WWF. We know where he's gone from. He's gone from WCW and ECW, whether ECW realizes he yet or not. Another guy that might be gone from the WWF is the 123 Kid. The Meltzer reports there is some question as to whether or not the 123 Kid will return. Of course, he's had some nagging injuries, he's had several concussions, and he's got a bit of a, a, <laughs> an inebriation problem at times as well. Does the one, two, three kid. We know that he too will be, we'll never see the one, two, three kid in the ring again here in the WWF. He'll be off to WCW before he's back as X-Pac on down the line. He's the pawn in this battle between WWF and WCW. He's one of them. He's like 
one of the first just because of all the shit that Vince tries to do to slow this process and kill some WCW momentum, which we'll be talking about in the future weeks for sure. But this is when the speculation started that he won't return. So, yeah. And of course, I'm sure he's got Hall and Nash already in his ear as well. Come make the money, kid. Come make the money. Yep. So before we get to Monday Night Raw, Steve, May 27th, there was a pay-per-view on May 26th. It was In Your House, Beware of Dog, Part 1. The reason I call it Part 1? Well, there was a power outage during the middle of the pay-per-view, and three of the five matches on the pay-per-view didn't make air. You heard me right. It kicks off with a free-for-all where the Smoking Guns defeat the Godwins for the tag team titles. Surprisingly, Sonny accompanied the Godwins to ringside. And now that the Guns have the belts, she's with the Guns. Boy, that's Sonny. Talk about life imitating art. Getting around. What's that? Isn't that a Tupac song, I Get Around? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Beach Boys song, too, right? <laughs> the, the... <laughs> so Mark Marrow gets a win over Triple H to kick the pay-per-view off, and then boom, out goes the power as Savio Vega makes his way down to ringside for his strap match with Steve Austin. We learned that Vega defeated Austin in that strap match in the dark, Steve, with generators going. Uh, very little light at all. They show actually clips on Raw of how dark it was. You barely can see in the ring what's going on. They do a match with Yokozuna over Vader in three minutes flat. They figure, why why even risk injury of these two guys out there? Just three minutes and take it home. Goldust defeated Undertaker in a casket match, also not seen because of the power outage. After, oh, I think about at least a half a dozen other heels came out and aided Goldust in stuffing Taker into a casket. Now, that wasn't the original plan. They used the original plan Tomorrow night on the uh, the next version of Beware of Dog. We'll get to that during Raw. And then uh, they send Jake the Snake Roberts to wrestle Justin Bradshaw. They send them out there just to kill time until the power comes back on. Lucky for everyone, the power comes back on immediately as soon as they get in the ring. Jake with a DDT picks up the win just like that. And the lights are back on in time for the main event, which featured Shawn Michaels defending his WWF title against the British Bulldog. Match goes to a no contest when both men pin one another, according to two separate referees, match went over 17 minutes. It's reported that neither guy was really happy with the, the not just the finish of the match, but the outcome of how the match played out. And they, they asked to redo their match live on the Tuesday replay of Beware of Dog, but it was declined. Yeah, but they do get it just a month later, right? A little less than a month later. They sure do. And we're going <laughs> to... We're going to kick things off with WWF Monday Night Raw. They're live this week. Good deal here. May 27, 1996, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Cumberland County Memorial Auditorium, a sellout, quote unquote, Steve, 5,000 fans, 4,200 paid. It's also, I, sh- I should mention, Memorial Day here in the United States as we get things going. It's the first match in the King of the Ring qualifiers. We, d- we just did that on the uh, Grenade Show in 1993. Here we are in 96. The first King of the Ring qualifier of the year. It's the ultimate warrior taking on Goldust. And, oof, I don't even want to think about that last match they had, if you want to call that a match. No. <laughs> Goldust, the company of the ring by Marlena here. And it's straight to the ring. Goldust already inside as the show kicks off. Ultimate warrior intro, and he's back into his character this week, Steve. No warrior man here. That's good. But he was hawking <laughs> that warrior university all over his gear. <laughs> so. Uh. And he's got he's got Vince hawking the comic book all throughout uh, this match as well. Yeah. Jerry yeah, Lawler on Here we go with some Jerry Lawler lines for the night. Jerry Lawler asks Vince, if Goldust wins King of the Ring, would he be King of the Ring or Queen of the Ring? Oh, Jerry, come on now. Vince calls the previous match between the Warrior and Goldust theatrics. 
Well, that's one word for it. <laughs> and he said he promised this would be an actual match. So Lawler actually references Goldust's injured knee as the cause of the theatrical match. So I thought that was really interesting there in the commentary. Uh, Goldust stalls as the match gets going. So, so far, it's exactly like the original match. But Warrior attacks him this time. He mocks Goldust's mannerisms. Very interesting. And nails an atomic drop on Goldust's Golden Globes. Sends Goldie to the floor. Vince apologizes for last night's In Your House pay-per-view. He says, and there's a sign in the crowd that says, let's keep the power on tonight, people. So, more stalling in the match. The Warrior no-sells nearly everything. And it just kills the match for me. Goldust eats a nasty backdrop, and he almost lands right on his head. Uh, good, good deal from the Warrior there. Warrior then throws Goldust out into the crowd. Goldust fights his way back. He throws the Warrior into the rail, which, yes, the Warrior no-sells. And then he sends Goldust into the steel post. That sounded nasty, too. A nasty yeah, post. I think it was the gloves, but still, yeah. It sounded real good. Yeah, it did. This is the point in the match where Vince McMahon begins hawking the Warrior's new comic book, Warrior. Of course it would be called Warrior. He says it's the number one selling comic book, and I quote, in the entire world. It's about the world of distrucity. Vince says all of this with a straight voice. Warrior's self-belief system is distrucity, distrucity, Steve. This was going to be a brand. The Warrior had an idea of having a brand all the way back in 1996. He was ahead of his time. Oh, he's, um, he was I, I was searching. I was uh, I was googling <laughs> distrucity, and uh, mm-hmm. there's actually someone on the internet who has like a blog, and she uh, believes in the distrucity and the the belief system that the Ultimate Warrior came up with. And that's a shame. She writes stories. I don't think the Warrior even believed in distrucity. I think it was just a way to try to make a couple bucks. I thought. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he did believe in it and thought it was real. I mean, that's just him. <laughs> I read one of them. I didn't read all of it, but she was talking about how she was like a closet wrestling fan and it made her hard for her to like talk about it. But her and her brother would watch it together. And then she, her brother left and went to like the military or something. So she no longer had her friend to watch wrestling and talk about it with. But, uh, after the warrior left in 92, she was kind of done with wrestling anyway, but she's, she believes in this distrucity and, um, it was interesting. I, I it is what it is, but, uh, I don't <laughs> I could see the foundation of something positive, trying to make yourself a better person. That's kind of what Ultimate Warrior was always about, believing in yourself and all that all that jazz. I mean, the way he delivered it and just the way he was didn't really match what he was trying to sell. But if you just take the warrior out of the equation and just <laughs> look at what it says, it's probably not the worst thing in the world that you could do. But... I wouldn't be listening to the ultimate warrior on how to be a, a good person. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, not by any account. Uh, the match goes on though. Goldust with a seated chin lock. The warrior though stands up to his feet, has Goldust up on his shoulders, falls backwards and Goldust takes a, takes a big back bump. It's at this point. Goldust decides he's going to bail. I wrote, why, why would you bail in the middle of a King of ring qualifier? If, if you lose, you don't qualify. And Goldust goes up the aisle, and then I realize, oh, that's why he's running. It's so that he can back up into, you guessed it, Ahmed Johnson makes his way out, and Goldust backs right up into Ahmed, who takes Goldie back to ringside and gets him back to the ring as we go into commercial. And when we come back from commercial, Ahmed Johnson is gone, and guess what? Goldust is back outside again. So none of that made any sense to me whatsoever, as the Ultimate Warrior won't allow Goldust any offense. Goldie keeps trying to do things, and Warrior's just 
not having it here. Goes <laughs> big surprise there. Goldie sidesteps the charge and sends Warrior through the ropes to the floor, but Warrior lands on top of the director's chair. And I'm still trying to figure out if that was planted there on purpose or if this is completely coincidental and accidental. It was hilarious. Warrior tumbles through the middle rope and lands on top of the director's chair, which which busts into a couple of pieces. Yeah, it didn't look too good. I know Lawler sold it as if uh, Goldust was a genius and did it on purpose, but right. I don't know, man. That's that's quite lucky if you planned that. This is the dude that wore the hat, you know, right with the with the padding and the hat over. You know, you know that story, right? With the with the Jerry Lawler picture About coming what? up. With the Jerry Lawler picture coming up. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's not he's not taking uh, dives through the ropes onto onto wooden chairs. I don't think. Well, he 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 did look like he slowed down and didn't really want to take the bump. But I'm wondering if he saw the chair there, so he right. had to slow down and not just go out full force. I don't think it was planned, but it it looked ugly. Since I've never actually seen the warrior sell a body part before, except for when he threw pea soup up all over that fake doctor back in '92. Uh I thought he was actually hurt here. When he gets up, he's selling his shoulder as he's getting back into the ring. And uh, actually, DeMeltz reports it was his elbow and calls it a legit injury. Uh, it appeared to be the shoulder to me. I'm pretty sure I know the difference between a shoulder and elbow. But hey, who am I to question DeMeltz? Goldust tries to work the arm. That makes sense. Warrior's selling the shoulder. Goldust goes to work the arm. But guess what? Warrior's not having it. He's not going to sell the injury, Steve. <laughs> Why and would he? It's at this point, I'm not sure if it's the injury or Warrior's just blown up because this is going on pretty damn long at this point. He looks really blown up in the ring, really lethargic, moving very slow, and with no authority, even though he is on the offense. Might have been a good time to let Goldust lock on a move, but no, 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 that wouldn't be the Warrior's way. And the covers are even lazy as uh, he goes down to cover Goldust and just puts his hand on him while he rests on his knees. Goldust distracts the referee, Tim White, at this point so he can low blow the Warrior, finally sells something. And then I thought it was really nice. Goldust, though, back to arrest hold, does the neck vice, turns it into a chin lock. I wrote joy because now finally the heel takes over, which is typically how you position a wrestling match. The heel should get some offense in, right? You would think. And here we are maybe 10, 12 minutes into the match, and Goldust gets his first big move, a chin lock. As a Warrior, once again, say it with me, people, comes back. And Warrior with a belly-to-belly suplex. And a power slam and the typical warrior clotheslines. And then, of course, he goes off the ropes too many times for the shoulder block, which confuses Goldust, who starts trying to turn around and find Warrior. And it's always comical whenever you see one of those situations with Warrior in the shoulder block where the guy doesn't know where the hell he wants him positioned. But it does finally connect, I believe, right? Yeah. He, he kind of did like a head headbutt, like a diving headbutt or <laughs> like a, a head ram more than anything. It wasn't necessarily a shoulder block, but it was what it was. So Goldust bails again after taking the shoulder block. He's not trying to get pinned here after all. And he's back up the aisle again, but this time there's no Ahmed Johnson, which again makes me question, why would he come out once but not twice? So Warrior chases Goldust up the aisle, and it's a double countout, a double elimination, double shit, if you ask me. Match went 15 minutes and 20. This is the Warrior. 15 minutes and 20 seconds of a 15-minute time limit. So these guys... They went over their time limit in order to get to this double countout finish. As a Warrior is standing in the aisle, Goldust has run away. Warrior realizes what's happened. He turns around, and that's when he realizes Jerry Lawler has gotten up from the announce desk, and he's stolen the director's chair. Lawler's up the aisle trying to, I guess, attack the Warrior with the chair, but the Warrior catches him 
and Lawler has to back down and run away himself as uh, Warrior back into the ring. We see almost 13 minutes of this match on TV, and I felt every bit of this 13 minutes. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Lots of stalling, lots to start, and then you got the lot. Like, there was three or four chin locks and headlocks that went on for hours, it felt like. Um, Warrior gets gassed, and the moves that he's doing were very slow. I'm surprised he had enough energy to hit the ropes like four times to do the shoulder block. It it was it was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. I'm wondering if Goldust is still selling the knee, and this is about as good as it's going to get for him with the Warrior. Not blaming it on him at all, but it's it's a combination of I think if Dustin's and in, not injured at all or healthy, I, I think he could have got he could have got more out of the Warrior. I think because he's I don't good. Know. I don't Goldust know. is good, but he is good. But it's I don't hard know to that tell he... when nobody's selling for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. He want, not only is he not selling, he's not really allowing him to do any offense either. Yeah, so it's so it's, it's it's a tough situation for him. But um, so I know how much you love our friend DeMeltz's narrative on things, right? And we know the guys that he likes and the guys that he doesn't like. And going back many, many years, we know he's not a big fan of what he called the anabolic warrior, right? So this is, this is Meltz's narrative on this match here. He says, The idea for the finish going in was that Warrior would have gotten back in time, but Jerry Lawler would have gotten in his way in the aisle, preventing Warrior from getting back in the ring and causing the double countout. But the Warrior, of course, he's blaming the Warrior here, was so blown up. He couldn't run back to the ring to beat the count. I he he must have been Bullshit. watching he must have been watching a different match than me, Steve, because the warrior wasn't running back to the ring, walking back to the ring. Lawler didn't even get up from the announce table until the referee reached nine. Lawler didn't get the chair until the referee reached ten. Lawler didn't get to the aisle until after the bell sounded. If you're gonna blame anybody, you can blame Lawler for being late, but I don't even think that's the case here. This is just Meltz putting his narrative on things. And if you don't believe me, everybody go watch this for yourself. Warrior has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with the warrior being slow to get back to the ring. The countout happens. Really, I don't even know if Goldust is completely gone by that point. To be honest, what makes more sense is Warrior was, it sounds like he's supposed to get hit by the chair. And he turns around and starts chasing after Lawler and it distracts him from getting back into the ring. So it almost makes sense, like, Warrior is supposed to go up the aisle, Lawler is supposed to get up immediately, get that chair, hit him with it, and then they run around a little bit to get back, and then he just gets sidetracked. That seems more likely of what they were trying to do than Warrior being gassed. Because you can see kind of you can kind of see Warrior looking over his shoulder like, where you at? <laughs> like, where you at? He, he, Lawler was late. Lawler missed his cue or something. Uh, that To me, it's more on Lawler than it is on, on Warrior. Because it made no sense. It was it, it made all the guys look stupid, and, and then dumb. And in Meltzer's version, it's all the warrior being blown up. So yeah, but it has nothing to do with it. So he's clearly not blown up because he ran the ropes four times to hit his shoulder block. I mean, that may have took the rest of what he had out of him, but uh, he, he didn't look. Run. He, he would, didn't look he that gas. He was going to get through that he couldn't run fifteen feet. You know <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Exactly. I will say the only thing I want to point out here is the uh, only cool part about the Warriors' return was his entrance. I thought the face paint, big ass thing that they had come down, and the, or the face, and then the the pyro, it enhanced the character. But I, I'll go back to that Jim Cornette line of "Then the bell rang." Yeah, it sure <laughs> it's one hundred percent true here. But the pyro really, I, I, it took the character to the next level for me. Anyway, I, I gotta if, say, if there's pyro made for somebody. <laughs> 
It's the ultimate warrior, I think. Like Pyro I, fits in big time. I gotta say, the only thing that really stuck out to me in this match was when Warrior busted out a belly to belly. I don't know if he just accidentally hooked Goldust, and it's like, oh, I know a move that, that you can do out of this uh, lock right here, <laughs> or if he meant to do it, or whatever the case may be. But it was just like, did the Warrior just do a belly to belly suplex? Wow. Probably the one and only time he's ever done it. I'm sure. I, I took note of that too. I was like, and I, it was a nice belly to belly. It I was. Mean, He's kind of hard to fuck it up. But... Ass, so it makes me wonder. Uh, it makes me wonder if he was trying to pick him up into like a bear hug, or because he did do the bear hug a lot, yeah, or or something like that. But he's like, "Well, I got you here, and I got you off your feet. I guess I'll just turn and drop you." <laughs> but yeah, he did it belly to belly. So yeah, I just thought you'd get a kick out of that Meltzer narrative there, though, by the Warrior. Uh, gotta love the Meltzer narrative. <laughs> So we kick things off. That's the King of the Ring qualifier, our very first, and it's already a double elimination. What a great way. Who, who books this shit? What a great way to kick off King of the Ring here. As, uh, following the match, we get a recap of last night's In Your House pay-per-view. Like I said, Sonny was with the Godwins, but they lost the belts to the guns, so now Sonny, she ends up with the guns. We see clips of Mero over Triple H, and then the power goes out, as Vince explains. The Transformer blows outside because of the, the winds and the rain and things of that nature, so... It's not nice to fool with Mother Nature, says Vince McMahon. So it was lights out from that from that point forward. And then we see clips of the matches in the dark, which is kind of cool. Uh, obviously, those never wound up on the hidden gems, but it's cool to know they're out there. They did film them on a battery pack, so they do have those somewhere. Somewhere. I'm surprised they didn't make the unreleased DVD either. And then Vince announces tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Live the remainder of the matches that weren't aired last night on Sunday night. There will be new live matches. Those three matches, Yokozuna and Vader, Savio and Austin again in a strap match, and there's a third one I can't think of right now. Oh, the Undertaker and Goldust Casket match, of course. So I wrote, what a mess this had to be for them to try to... Nowadays, probably not as hard of a deal to, to configure and, and get it situated and everything, but back then, man, the only way you were getting cable or, or pay-per-views and things were you were making phone calls and things like that, like... You had to call your cable operator and explain to them the situation and explain why you're not supposed to have to pay for this second, you know, airing of the pay-per-view and what a mess. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I mean, you had some pretty big angles going into this and you missed some some good matches as far as at least Savio and and Austin. So there's some good stuff and you missed the meat and potatoes of the pay-per-view that you paid for the night before. But if right. you was pissed off about that and then call watch for all, you would have no clue that you can get the free show on Tuesday. So. Right. Yeah, bad time all around for everybody. We get a backstage promo. It's Ted DiBiase and Stone Cold Steve Austin. They talk about Savio Vega beating Austin last night. DiBiase calls it a fluke. He said the lights were out. Who knows how many buckles Savio actually touched. I like that little addition there by DiBiase. Rematch is set for tomorrow night on pay-per-view. Again, a strap match. DiBiase is going to sweeten the pie, he says. He wants the chauffeur stipulation to remain in place. So, in in offer or in, to, in order to keep that, DiBiase puts something up his well, himself. He puts up his WWF career. So it's DiBiase's career on the line here in the rematch against Savio being DiBiase's chauffeur, which is just insane. Uh, DiBiase says he's that confident. Man, he must really need a chauffeur t- to put his career up, Steve. <laughs> yeah, not a fair trade. <laughs> A chauffeur for your career. Makes sense, huh? Austin's wheels are spinning. He looks shocked when he hears that his manager is going to put his career up on the line, but he also makes some interesting faces. You almost can try to read Austin's mind. Like, maybe he doesn't care 
if Ted DiBiase leaves the WWF. Definitely odd. Yeah, he didn't have any solution to it one way or the other. It's like, eh, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Of course, the story there is that DiBiase put in his notice he's going to WCW for more money, and Vince is totally cool with it, but instead of letting him work the last several weeks of his contract, they just immediately X him out here. They write him off as fast as they can. And DiBiase's, uh, if, for those, I just spoiled everything, but yes, DiBiase's, this is the last time you'll see him on WWF TV for quite a few years. Yeah, another one gone. I don't know why you would offer him more money. What the hell is he going to be able to do for you? Like, I don't. Right. He didn't do much in WCW, I'll tell you that. He got whatever he got paid there, he ripped him off. It's almost like he con oh never mind. Sorry. No way. No, Bischoff getting conned. I, well, I was referring to DBS conning people out of lots of money. Well, but. yeah, that, that too, but you know, hey. Either way, oh, we Lord. continue on with this episode of Raw. It's tag team champions, new tag team champions, the smoking guns, now that Billy Gunn's back. They have Sonny with them. So she's on her third team in the last, like, nine days, Steve, from the Body Donnas to the Godwins to the Guns. Whoever the champions are, Sonny follows. And here the Guns do defend the titles against her former uh, men, the Body Donnas. So we get going, and it's Hillbilly Jim on commentary because why not, I guess. Harvey Whippleman in the aisle taking notes as well. What a hodgepodge of nonsense. Hillbilly Jim on commentary, Harvey Whippleman taking notes in the aisle. And what Harvey's doing here, this is the gimmick they were doing at the time. He's taking notes because he's watching the officials. He's trying to make sure that WWF has the best officials. And, uh, well, he didn't really succeed in that, did he, Steve? No, he definitely did not. <laughs> I guess the Donnas were supposed to be the de facto heels, or at least we should maybe want to side with them. But there's also the factor of Sonny's over, and the Guns really haven't done anything yet to be claimed heels so it's really weird as both teams actually play heel tendencies throughout this match an actual wrestling match from two tag teams in the wwf in 96 i was pleasantly surprised here as they tried to put together a real tag team match billy on the ground tries a spinning head scissors on his head candido cartwheels out of it lands on his feet i loved it i wish candido had been in wcw during that cruiserweight era just being able to see these little these little spots here and there that he's capable of doing but Skip doesn't do these moves, so they don't really let him do a whole lot of this stuff in WWF, but it's always cool to be reminded of what Candido can do. Yeah, especially at the frame that he's at now. He seems a lot faster, and he's smaller, obviously. So uh, this is probably when he was at his best, like as far as like what he could do, but he just was in a gimmick that wasn't going to allow him to break out and look like a competent wrestler. But yeah, if he'd been interesting in WCW, for sure, that would have been... Uh, He'd fit right in with those cruisers, for sure. Uh, it's at that point, the head scissors. Billy Gunn, after uh, Skip escapes the head scissors, he gets sent to the floor, though, by Billy Gunn, and he confronts Sonny. Skip confronts Sonny on the outside as we go into commercial break. When we come back, we see that Billy Gunn attacked Skip from behind on the outside, and we're back from break. Zip pulls the top rope down, and Bart takes a nasty spill to the floor. He's, he's running off the ropes, and the body donnas finally take over, double-teaming Bart, Dr. Tom busts out the Dr. Bomb, and that was a beautiful Dr. Bomb, by the way, and Zip gets a two count. Lots of counters by Skip and Bart back and forth. Bart Gunn with a German suplex and a bridge for a two count. Phineas Godwin then randomly to ringside to confront Sonny, who's been playing with his emotions lately. And that's what Hillbilly Jim gets up from commentary and good old Hank Henry Godwin. They uh, confront Phineas. They try to get him to get away from Sonny. Just stay away. No more herpes. As the body donnas nail a assisted leg drop in the ring on Bart Gunn and a double slingshot suplex. 
takes Bart down. Billy tries to come in, but he eats a double slingshot gourd buster across the top rope. Then Skip goes up to the top rope for a flying body block, but Bart rolls over on top and gets the win on his own. No help from Billy, as the Smoking Guns retain the titles in 12 minutes. It was an actual tag team match. <laughs> yeah, with two teams that are like actual teams instead of two guys just <laughs> thrown together. So, uh, but I mean, like they followed yeah, a formula and they were given enough time to follow a formula. Mm-hmm. It's it's you don't see that anymore in the WWE 1996. No, you definitely do not. But um, yeah, it was it was a good match. Um, Skip did a lot of stuff. Like he did a tilt a whirl and mm-hmm. um, like head scissors and then right. the doctor bombs. A lot of guys were they were doing things that you didn't normally see him do, especially the body donnas. Yeah, a good little match here. After the match, Billy Gunn is on the outside being consoled by Sonny until Sonny hears the bell sound and realizes they've retained the titles. She doesn't care about Billy anymore at this point. She cares about the belts. Sonny leaves Billy Gunn to run over and grab the belts, but she does celebrate with her new tag team champions, the Smoking Guns, and I just I, I was taken aback, man, that we got a real tag team match, and they were given enough time, and it didn't involve the Godwins, so it was actually entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. And that's no disrespect on Hank. Hank, Hank really started to take off there with that Triple H feud, and then he gets stuck in this. Yeah, it's unfortunate for him. He has to go with Midian and Phineas and all the other <laughs> shit. <laughs> I feel bad for both of them, man. This is a shit gimmick. If they were like Southern Justice that we see later on in like 98, right. I think that would have been okay. That, that did work, but yeah. The, this Godwin's garbage is pretty bad. It's it only gets worse from here. Well, it's Vince going back to different times. Times have changed. You know, it's like Hall and Nash are real, right? <laughs> Over there in the uh, WCW. And then, then we got hillbillies over over in the WWE with pigs and hound dogs and shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it takes Vince a lot longer than others to figure out that times have changed. Right. I agree. Clearly, That's a good point. We're, we're still experiencing that right now. Like, um, <laughs> good night. Uh, speaking of <sighs> nights, last night we looked at all the undercard matches and the lights going out as part of the pay-per-view, but the the lights came back on, and that's when we got that Shawn Michaels and British Bulldog match, which went about, like I said, 17 minutes or so. Mason here was rocking a neck brace for an upcoming story, claimed that Gorilla Monsoon had injured him, had assaulted him, when in fact Gorilla may have grabbed him or, or poked him. Uh, we learned that HBK has been charged with attempted alienation of affection. And Clarence Mason says they will see Shawn Michaels in court, uh, but they don't actually go through with the storyline because it actually gets dropped before it really gets going because of the complaints from the Hart family, who, just like Brett, takes everything so seriously that uh, they just didn't want Diana involved in such a terrible angle. I can't say I blame them. Oh, Lord. Well, it wasn't because the angle sucked. It was because they it made Diana look like a bad light because their argument was that even though Sonny and Sable are these, you know, what sexy characters, they're characters. They're portraying... They, Sable's not really with Mark Merrow on TV like she is in real life. They're not married on TV. Sonny is Sonny, right? But Diana Smith is portraying Diana Smith, and the hearts don't like that. Stu and Helen, you think with Stu... He would be over it, but I guess because it's his daughter, it, it's he just doesn't want her to look to look negative in a negative light. I suppose. How is it negative though? Like you're out here. Like here's well, my problem with it is the, 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 you're the out here accusing this dude of right trying to get with you, and like that's not tasteless enough. But 
we're going to draw the line with a dude claiming <laughs> that he got assaulted by the president. That that's a problem. That's a problem all of a sudden. But <laughs> we can do this angle with Sean where he's trying to get with me because it makes me look like I'm an attractive person and uh, people want me. But no, nah, we can't do like come on. I think the complaint was actually the end game. The end plan was that it was going to come out that there was video footage showing that it was Diana Smith who tried to pick up Shawn Michaels and he turned her down. And that's where they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I think Bulldog, I think this is coming up on the next episode of Monday Warfare, but we're pretty close to where Bulldog uh, gets Vince, uh, gives Vince his notice and uh, claims he's going to leave after, after August. So that's when things get changed up here. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting things going on behind the scenes here in the WWF world. Sounds like it. It's funny, you know, how it works. Like, look, they're putting in their notice, like, screw this shit. I'm not doing this. And now it's like, oh, you want to you want to start shit? Well, you're fired. See you later. <laughs> it's like the complete opposite. The wrestlers right. had all the control back then. Did you now, just sneeze? Like, Did you just sneeze in my presence? You're fired. Yeah, yeah you're mad your friend got fired. Well, you're fired too. See, you. like, wow, it's <laughs> it's a complete 180 of how the things are going these days compared to yeah. back then. But that's interesting. Yeah, so we got one more match on the show. This has been a really wrestling heavy show, believe it or not. Yes, only three matches, but they really fill out the show. The first match goes over 15 minutes. The second match, 12 minutes. This match here goes over 11 minutes. That's a lot of wrestling on a WWF program, to say the least. This match, another King of the Ring qualifier. This Ahmed Johnson takes on Vader. What a match to give away on free TV. Jim Cornette in the corner of Vader. Owen Hart is on commentary, and he debuts the cast, Steve, the infamous cast. And it's actually an injury at this point, a real injury, thanks to a match he had with the Warrior, go figure, at the March 19th Madison Square Garden show. The Warrior dropped Owen wrong. Another shock. And, uh, yeah, so Owen breaks his wrist or injures it or Whatever goes on there, that's uh, that's where the cast came from, though. So it's legit at this point. Sucks for him because he's out of work for a little bit, but um, at least they gave him something, and uh, he gets the Bob Orton gimmick. So we get things going. Vader and Ahmed get in the ring. They go nose-to-nose, face-to-face, and Vader spits at Ahmed's chest, and Ahmed goes absolutely bonkers. He goes nuts, Steve, just nuts on Vader, rocks him back to the corner, drives Vader down to his ass and just stomps and kicks and stomps and kicks. The crowd is going nuts. Everybody's on their feet behind Ahmed here. As Ahmed even for a moment loses his balance as he's kicking and punching so wildly. It was some pretty cool shit. Yeah, it was a great start. Lots of heat right away, and um, the crowd was loving it. So, uh, job well done. Ahmed was still pretty over at this point. Crowd liked him. and uh, I, I liked him. I don't want to spoil anything here, but um, and I don't know my clash numbers that well once you get past a certain point, but there's a match, there's a clash out there between Vader and Dustin. Exact same spot. Vader spits on Dustin. Dustin loses his mind. And goes bonkers on Vader, and this uh, was reminiscent of that. Obviously, this is a a Vader spot. He must say, "Hey, this worked with Dustin. Why don't you let's try this?" And Ahmed uh, lives up to the oh, hype well, as well here. That's funny because uh, Dustin's going to play a role at the end of this one. So <laughs> he sure does, unbeknownst to Ahmed. <laughs> yeah. So Can't wait any- to talk about that. Yeah, so Ahmed goes nuts on Vader in the corner. Then he lands a flying body tackle, just launches himself at Vader as both men go flying over the top rope out to the floor. Ahmed then tosses Vader back inside. He goes to climb back in himself, but Jim Cornette busts the tennis racket 
across the back of Ahmed, which Ahmed no-sells. And then he begins to stalk, to stalk Jim Cornette up the aisle backstage as we go into commercial break. And as we come back, Vader now in control of the match. Just the basics, working over Ahmed on the ground. Jerry Lawler on commentary says, The next time we hear Ahmed talk, he'll sound like Muhammad Ali. Uh, for those who don't get that, obviously Ali had uh, was very punch drunk later in life and had some serious issues there, uh, health issues as well. And uh, it was just Lawler uh, making a tasteless joke, I thought. Yeah, pretty tasteless. I think even Owen made a comment after that, like, wow, really? It almost, the way it came across was him saying, like, well, that's a bit much. He had Parkinson's, I think, and he could hardly talk by the end. He was mute, pretty much. He would he would talk very little. I remember in an interview, he had to have subtitles so you could understand what he was saying or at least have help with it. So, um, yeah, pretty classless and tasteless, I think. Just there's certain guys you don't joke around with, and Muhammad Ali is one of them. I'm sorry. So the middle of the match is all Vader on top. Ahmed does reverse a suplex at one point, but Vader continues to remain on the offense, and he goes into the corner. He tries for the Vader bomb. Nope. He's going all the way up top, Steve. Vader goes to the top rope and attempts the moonsault, but he misses. Ahmed moves out of the way, and it's comeback time for Ahmed Johnson. Vader loses his mask somewhere in here during Ahmed's uh, uh, comeback. Ahmed nails a big power slam, and then Cornette jumps up onto the apron. Johnson then yanks Cornette into the ring as well and tosses him into Vader. And while the referee's busy tending to, to a downed corny, Ahmed nails the big spine buster on Vader and makes the cover. But the referee with Cornette, so Owen Hart off the commentary and onto the top rope. Owen leaps off the top rope, already using that cast to his advantage, cracks Ahmed over the back of the head with the cast. Vader covers one, two, three. Vader advances in the King of the Ring 11 minutes and 20 seconds, and Ahmed Johnson suffers his first loss in the WWF. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it had an impact. I mean, obviously, it, was, it wasn't clean, so it didn't hurt him at all, I don't think. And what happens right afterwards is uh, clearly not going to – cause him to lose any steam that he's had. So um, this was a good match. Um, mm-hmm. On the cross body, Owen had a great comment. If he's like, you got two super heavyweights out here moving around like they're junior heavyweights. Yes, and, he did uh, say that, yeah. He's not He's not wrong. So Owen was really good um, with the commentary. Yeah. He knew what he was talking about and got both guys over uh, with the way they're moving. Like, he was impressed. So uh, that was really good. Um, the match was solid. And it's probably the best match on the, on the of the night. Um Oh, yeah. I thought I, 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 I just really enjoyed it. The tag match was good, but this one just had a little bit more meaning and both guys oh, yeah. were over still. So yeah, it had uh, a lot of, a lot of energy it to it. Yeah. Sometimes it's uh, the big guys yeah. rule, man. That's just the way it works. Vince isn't completely oblivious to the realities of the situation. Sometimes. So Ahmed does the job here and he's laid out cold in the middle of the ring. He has to do a stretcher job. To the back, backstage, Ahmed Johnson being pushed away on a stretcher when Goldust stops the stretcher, and he proceeds to give Ahmed Johnson mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And oh. so, reportedly, uh, including from Ahmed, this was a spot that Ahmed Johnson uh, was never even told about in advance. Supposedly, Goldust was told to go do this. Ahmed was... It was never okayed with Ahmed. So, this kiss this mouth-to-mouth if you will does its job because it does revive ahmed johnson he is not (laughs) happy steve he is not happy in kayfabe or in shoot life ahmed johnson is pissed the fuck out 
as gold dust, gold dust, gold makeup all over the lips of Johnson as he gets up and he's looking for gold dust. He's on a gold dust hunt. And I wouldn't want to be Dustin right now as Johnson stalks down no. some stairs. He's looking for gold dust. He runs into Bob Holly in the aisle and he raises him up against the wall with one hand by the throat. Bob Holly up in the air getting choked out by Ahmed. Then he goes on. He runs into Mark Miro. Are you looking for gold dust? He's right there. And he points to gold dust locker room. Mark Marrow giving, giving away gold dust secrets here as Ahmed walks on over to the locker room, which reads gold dust on it. Wow. Mark Marrow's clever. And so Ahmed, uh, there's a, there's a guy standing guard though, Steve, a job guy for no reason <laughs> standing guard in front of gold dust store with his <laughs> ar- arms crossed. And Johnson says he's looking for gold dust. The job guy says wrong door. Ahmed says wrong door. And then proceeds to plow this motherfucker through the fucking breaks the door. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be this guy at all. Paying for gold dust no. uh, mouth to mouth. Ahmed just kills this poor job guy. And then gold dust not in the locker room, which upsets Ahmed even further. So he nails the cameraman as well as the cameraman lays there on the ground filming Ahmed walk away, still in search of gold dust. Whew, wouldn't want to be gold dust. Not me either. Uh, this is awesome. I, I absolutely love this. And I, the only thing I could think of is why they wouldn't tell him is because they wanted to get like a, a natural reaction. I'm um, assuming they didn't tell him because him. he would have declined doing this. This would have no. been my. Yeah. It probably would have said no, but uh, it felt real. Like his reaction, like what the hell is going on? So, and one thing I do want to point out that I thought was awesome too is like he has snapped initially once he got off the 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 gurney or whatever like he's going nuts and then all of a sudden he starts walking down the stairs and he's he starts to sell the the cash job off the top rope like he like Vince even says like he probably has a concussion a possible concussion he has a lot of damage going on but he was still pissed enough to go down there and and uh get to where he needs to get to. So I thought that was good on his part. He just didn't completely forget to sell what Owen did to him too. So, um, but all in all, this is a great angle. I loved it. I remember this as a kid and me and my friend would always joke around about that jobber getting the shit killed out of him oh through the God. door. Uh, destroys the poor guy. Like, <laughs> like I, I never seen anything like it where he, that dude gets sent packing through the door, like yeah. at least 10 feet into the dressing room. And like, I don't know how it happened. Like, the door didn't even come off the hinges. He must have just <laughs> broke the handle off. Like, I don't know. Like, it's – if you didn't know about it and they gimmicked the door for him to be able to do that, like, job well done by those by the team to get that ready. But, my God, that poor guy. Yeah, and I'm I'm not really big into the whole conspiracy thing, and I wouldn't even – I guess I wouldn't even classify this as a conspiracy. My only question – uh, when, they, when Ahmed and some others claim that he didn't know about this mouth-to-mouth spot in advances – if you don't know that's coming and then it's coming and you hate it enough that you would have declined it. And that's why they didn't tell you it was coming yet. He lays there no emotion allows gold dust to do it two, three times. That's the only reason yeah. I question it. Like if you were shocked or surprised or startled by this, I, I'm, it just doesn't come off to me as a guy that's just going to lay there and play along. You know what I mean? So that's, that's my only thought on that. Yeah, it makes, that makes sense. And I would probably agree with you there because if I, if I'm laying on a stretcher and a, a guy kisses me, I'm gonna. My eyes are my eyes are closed. I don't like, even know. Especially know if it's a work. Me. If it's work, like if somebody starts kissing me, I'm gonna wake up and see what it is immediately. Mm-hmm. Why would he lay there with his eyes closed for three more kisses or three more mouth to mouth things, and then right. he wakes up? Right. Yeah. 
So that's my only thought so, there. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not going to pretend to be anyone else and tell you, you know, my narrative on what, what it was really supposed to be. But I just, I found that really interesting. And so before we get to the segment of the night, just real quick, the In Your House Beware of Dog 2, as they called it, for May 28th, those three matches, the rematches from the, the night before that didn't air, uh, the strap match saw Savio Vega again over Steve Austin, 21 minutes and 27 seconds. That means Ted DiBiase is gone from the WWF. Vader defeats Yokozuna, 8 minutes and 53 seconds. And Intercontinental Champion Goldust over The Undertaker in a casket match. After Mankind appears in the casket, Mandible claws The Undertaker and they stuff him inside. Match went about 12 and a half minutes. A nice little fun illusion there, as Doink would call it. As uh, they open the casket at one point, you see there's nobody inside. And the next time they open it, Mankind is in the casket. So Mankind playing those games with The Undertaker here. And really, even though this Gold Dust Undertaker match really never made sense and it felt forced and rushed, they continue to keep Mankind involved because that that's the real feud here. It's, it continues on. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason for it. It's like they want to wait till King. We talked about this last week. They want to wait till King of the Ring. But how do you get there to keep it fresh and don't want to give away the match yet? So it makes sense. And Goldust was a trooper. He did his part. I'm sure he's happy working uh, Taker instead of a Warrior still. So segment of the night, Steve, is it Vader and Ahmed Johnson? Is it Warrior and Goldust? Is it Slutty Sonny jumping from team to team? Or is it Slutty Goldust on, on Ahmed's mouth? Uh, slutty Goldust, for sure. That was a great <laughs> angle. It was tremendous. And that jobber. Going through the door, oh is, my god, is like icon. It's like iconic oh, yeah. and memorable. Yeah. If, if you've memorable. seen it live, you never forget it. And right. uh, I was looking forward to seeing it here. I kind of forgot that's where this was heading, and then as soon as I seen him on the stretch, I'm like, oh, here we go. I can't wait to see the end. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely memorable. Yeah, I can. You know, I can lump the whole thing in together. Ahmed and Vader and the post match shenanigans. If I had to pick one or the other, yeah, that gold dust stuff at the end is absolutely memorable. Even choking Bob Holly up against the wall, choking him up. Uh, you know, Bob Holly's a baby face. So for a baby face to attack another baby face like that, that was like new to me as well at the time. It's like, whoa, he's really mad. He's beating up other good guys. And then, uh, yeah, killing that dude through the wall or the door might as well have been a wall. Uh, that, that was that was good shit. So, yeah, my, definitely my segment of the night as well. We're going to move over to our first two hour WCW Monday Nitro. But before we do. We have a Great American Bash pay-per-view coming up, Steve, in Baltimore. And DeMeltzer has this lineup. He says WCW has changed around the lineup for the 616 Great American Bash pay-per-view. Complete lineup as it stands now will be the Giant defending the WCW title against Lex Luger. It's Steve McMichael and Kevin Green, managed by Randy Savage, taking on Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, managed by Bobby Heenan. Conan defends the U.S. title against El Gato, who's going to be played by Pat Tanaka. Sting! versus Steve Regal, Diamond Dallas Page versus Marcus Bagwell for the Lord of the Ring deal. That's talking about DDP's new ring he just won at that phenomenal Slamboree pay-per-view. Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan, Falls Count Anywhere. Dean Malenko is the Cruiserweight Champion, taking on a newcomer to WCW by the name of Rey Mysterio Jr. Things are about to get really fun here in WCW, Steve. And John Tenta taking on Big Bubba, no trouble. And the Steiners also taking on fire and ice yet again in a match where there must be a winner. Listen to this. Originally scheduled for the Great American Bash pay-per-view, the original plans were for Diamond Dallas Page to wrestle the Great Muta. Can you even imagine that even when DDP was over? 
and the Booty Man to take on Hugh Morris on the undercard. But it looks now to be just DDP versus the Booty Man. Of course, that got that got changed as well to DDP and Bagwell. So Booty Man off the show. So here's the deal: New Japan decided against sending Muta to the U.S. to put over DDP since they view him as a prelim wrestler, which is pretty much what he was. WCW talk about pulling out all the stops. They were going to have Muta come over from Japan to do a job to Diamond Dallas Page. Demelts even speculated further that the reason the Booty Man DDP match was scrapped was because Hogan didn't want Booty Man to job to DDP either. So DDP can't get any love. And oh my God, who books this shit? Muta doing a job to DDP in 1996? <laughs> Is that Bischoff getting word to the booker like, hey man, take care of my guy? Um, <laughs> but my goodness, like, really? You bring Muta in to job to DDP? That's what are you doing? Pretty, yeah, that's. Well, New Japan was smart. Anyway, I'll give them that. <laughs> to say the least. What was that, Anoki? Yeah, it's, I can't even imagine who all would have been. <laughs> I, I would imagine Muda himself was like, no thank you, son. F you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So here we go. It's our first ever two-hour WCW Monday Nitro, May 27, 1996. Macon, Georgia at the Coliseum. 4,309 people there. Only 1,811 paid. Here on this Memorial Day, maybe that had something to do with it. It's our first ever two-hour edition, Steve, and we kick things off very differently. As Nitro goes on the air, the hosts for the first hour of action are Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko. This is the first time Nitro kicks off without Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan doing the commentary. It's Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko, and they're standing ringside. So already a very different feel to hour one of Nitro. Yeah, I like how they separated and differentiated the two hours. I thought it was good. It makes each hour unique in its own little way, and it gives you something different to look forward to. So I, I, I always liked this idea that they had. They did this for quite a while, um, not to this level, like where they switched like the whole announced team and right. all that. But you always had Larry for the first hour, and then Bobby would come in and do the second hour uh, later on. So I, I always enjoyed that. It's nice to get different perspectives, different voices on commentary and all the, to me, like all the commentary team, at least early on was dialed in and they were all into the stories and they really gave you a different perspective, but they sold it in their own way. It was cool to hear. Like it was nice to hear four different people talking about wrestling in one night. So yeah, I, and it, it. I think it gave the show, it kept, it kept the show fresh as well. Having that different commentary and things. Yeah, I think so too. So the show kicks off. We have an eight-match card here on the first-ever two-hour Nitro, and it starts off with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson out here with Liz and Woman. They're both rocking green dresses this week, taking on the American Males. It's the clap, Steve. They bust out the clap. The male's going to give you the clap here this week on WCW Monday Nitro. <laughs> oh, it's still one of my, by far, one of my most favorite gimmicks. <laughs> Scotty Riggs is not the greatest in the world, but... Go ahead, Scotty. Give him the clap. I, I laugh yeah. about that. I joke about it all the time. I think it's hilarious. It's so damn funny. So as the match gets going, the heels work over Scotty Riggs in and outside of the ring. The males have enough, though, and they turn it into a four-way melee inside and outside. Bagwell, with a nice pair of drop kicks on Flair and a clothesline, sends the nature boy out to the floor. Riggs also floors Arn Anderson, and it's more clapping. Uh, more clap being spread here, Steve. They continue to spread the clap to this crowd here in Macon, Georgia. Bagwell's already been spreading the clap around there for quite a while. Huh? I, would, I would have to imagine. As uh, Flair and Anderson get knocked out of the ring, Flair gets upset. He storms over to the VIP table for some champagne. 
He's pissed off, Steve. I think he's pissed off he wasn't invited to spread the clap with the males. <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, Bag- <laughs> Bagwell works Arn's arm. Arn's arm. Say that like three times fast. Uh, works Arn's arm into commercial break. Back from break, Bagwell fighting out of the horseman corner. And he's fired up. Bagwell looks really good this week. Riggs tags in, though, and then it's Riggs. Flair grabs his ankle from the floor, which allows Arn to take over advantage. He clips the leg of Riggs, and they, get, they take over control on Scotty Riggs' bad leg here. Flair then goes outside and pours Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco glasses of <laughs> champagne. That's a first. Tony says it's a first, too. But I, I, I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. Yes, you heard me right. Well, Arn Anderson works over Riggs in the ring. Ric Flair just <laughs> jaunts along outside and pours Tony and Larry a glass of champagne. I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was, too. Good stuff. It's clearly like Flair playing the gimmick and the, the, the caricature that we know him as in this era. But yes, it was it was good. I, I thought it was funny. And I, you know, he knows I don't... they're in control and he trusts his boy Arn to to not lose it so no you would have never seen uh the original horseman leave leave the apron to go pour champagne no. while they're working like dusty or, or something like that so it's very different rick flair although he it's usually a miss this this was a hit with me i enjoyed that that he poured champagne during the middle of the match back I'm inside sure did too i'm sure larry loved it uh, tony seemed like he enjoyed it as well i've heard tony's story yeah. so he probably did Arn Anderson gets cocky in the ring, though, and eats an enziguri from Riggs, which sends Art, Arn out to the floor. Flair and then Randy Anderson, that's the referee, get into a shoving match in the ring, and I had to LOL. I always love whenever Flair would get into the shoving match with, with little Pee Wee Anderson here. Flair taking bumps up against the ropes from Randy Anderson and tags to Flair and Bagwell, and Bagwell with a now a third backdrop. I don't know if you were counting, but Ric Flair takes three of his famous backdrops here during this match from Bagwell. And I wrote, holy shit, because Bagwell comes off with a top rope drop kick into Flair's head. And holy fuck, oh. looked like he, it, that had to be a concussion. That had to have been a concussion. Arn breaks up the cover. Oh. And I'm glad he broke it up because I don't know that Flair was, uh, wasn't rocked enough that he would have kicked out on his own. As we're going into the finish here, Bagwell with a cradle. But Arn turns it over and gets Ric Flair on top. And then Riggs run in and he turns it back over and Bagwell's back on top in this inside cradle. So as the match goes on, the uh, referee, there's no count there. But Bagwell then goes for his finisher, goes for the Fisherman suplex, the perfect plex for those who are old school WWF fans. But Arn again breaks up the count. Woman then gouges the eyes of Marcus Bagwell while Randy Anderson admonishes Woman. Arn Anderson sneaks in from behind. DDT on Bagwell. Flair makes the cover, and the Horsemen get the win in 12 minutes. I wrote, "Wow, you know, I was really happy with that body Donna's and, and smoking guns match." But then here's Ric Flair and Arn Anderson showing you how it's really done. Yeah, this match was good. Um, surprising with the males in it, but uh, it's weird. Like I don't know if you noticed this, and I just I just thought of this right now, like not watching the match, but right now talking. It seems like Bagwell gets up the bigger, the better the competition. Like if he's in the ring with a Ric Flair or Arn Anderson or even when they were fighting, I think they didn't they have a match with like Luger and Sting or something, or there was something going on where Bagwell was in a match with somebody like that, and he seemed to look really good and was really trying to impress the right people mm. and put on a good match. Um, but if he gets in there with some some other like the Nasty Boys or Public Enemy, they look like shit. Obviously, it's the quality of the opponent, but. They just seemed to go through the motions, but man, he was he was on tonight. Bagwell was, and he looked really yeah, he looked, good. Yeah, he looked he Arner. looked like he belonged 
at a higher level than where he's being placed right here at this point. Yeah, Unfortunately, um, when he finally gets point pushed to that higher level, that's when he just stops caring altogether. Well, I mean, you start hanging out with Hogan, it kind of rubs off, you know. I guess. Yeah, I suppose. It's hard not to. <laughs> and and Hall and Nash, and yeah, I guess. I mean, like a lot of the people, like IRS <laughs> and those guys, I mean, who in that who in that camp is pushing the envelope to put on good matches? And it's like, dude, we're over. We got all the momentum. Who gives a shit about match quality? Yeah, just, that, just go get jacked up. Go get jacked up. Wear a big yep. funny hat. There you go. Top hat. There you go. So post-match, we get a Ric Flair and Arn Anderson promo from the VIP table area. I'm not a fan of these uh, post-match celebrating promos from Ric Flair. He's done a lot of them lately, and they're immediately after these matches, and it comes off as, like, no-selling the match he just had. It's very disrespectful, I think, to his opponents. Now, if he had went in there and he beat a hard work Bobby Walker or something like that, I get it. But he's been having, like, these 12-minute matches and really selling, getting his, getting his clock cleaned, and then he gets the win, and then he walks over and he cuts a promo with Mean Gene talking about let's, let's party. And I don't know that I, I mean, I get that that's Ric Flair, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it takes away from the match. Like the match wasn't as exciting as I thought it was because Flair's not selling it. Yeah, I can see that. It's almost as if he's just, yeah, I'm Ric Flair. I just won the match. It's whatever. It's time to party. Like that's all he cares about is just partying, partying up and, and doing that. So I, I agree with you, especially in this match. Like this was a really good match. They gave him everything they could, he could handle and they they got they had a cheat to win and you're just selling it up like yeah that was a cakewalk who cares it kind of makes the males look look bad here in that situation and at this point I think you would want to try and make, at least give some acknowledgement to somebody like Bagwell at least you know give him some kudos for putting up a fight but well I think I think Flair does like and, uh, I think Flair does mention he he got his head about kicked off by Bagwell there in the match right, but that's about the only credit that they give the males here. Yeah, so I agree with you on this one. Uh, it's I don't mind the promo. Like I think a week or two ago, they came out maybe two or three segments later to talk to him. That at least sells the idea that he had to go to the back and get cleaned up, and you know he had a long, he had a tough fight. So let's go rest up a little bit. But immediately afterwards, and you're talking about smashing the women and doing whatever you want and all that stuff. So uh, it's uh, yeah, not a good look. So speaking of smashing women here, they're talking about Bash. It's Flair and Arn against Mongo and Green. Of course, Flair has been trying to proposition Deborah McMichael at this point, but they're talking all about the ladies. They're talking Liz and woman and various other ladies we don't even get to see on TV. And then Arn busts out this line in classic Arn fashion. He says, we don't respect anybody who wants to wear protective gear. And I had to laugh because that could be a double entendre if you think about it. We don't respect anybody that wears protective gear. He could be talking about the football players. He could be talking about men with ladies because they were talking about the ladies as well. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but it just sounded like something Arn would slyly sneak into the promo. Yeah, back when Arn was subtle about what he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> before, the, before the Glock promo started and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I just figured he was talking about the NFL guys, but that's a good point. You, you bring up a good point there. Who knows what, they, what he's referring to. So they're running out of time. Mean Gene's getting the, the hook here. He's trying to cut off the promo. They're trying to go to commercial break, but Flair's got to get it in one more time. He says, everybody thought that Ric Flair was the sugar daddy, but with Savage's money in Liz's pocket, it's Liz, Liz that's the sugar mama. Woo! As we go into commercial break. So Flair's still taunting Randy Savage 
while they're heading into this pay-per-view to take on two former, well, one former football player, one current football player still here in 96. And speaking of which, coming back from the break, we get a workout video with Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. The less said about that, the, the better. I think we can just move along unless you have any notes. Um, got nothing for you. Yeah, they were in a gym working out. That's pretty much the gist of that. And we go back to the video. <laughs> we go back to the ring, and here we go. It's Steve Dahl, the former Steve Dunn in the WWF, for those curious. Steve Dahl taking on the Mauler, the former Blake Beverly in the WWF. That's Mean Mike Enos. He's accompanied by Colonel Rob Parker. They sold this at the top of the show like it was going to be a big deal. They said, Colonel Rob Parker getting ready to debut a new man here tonight. So I'm, I'm all pumped, Steve. I'm like, who's it going to be? What could it be? Oh, my God. Rob Parker's debuted Sid. He's, you know, he's done a lot of big things in his time. He's brought in Terry Funk at one point. So Rob Parker's brought in some decent names over the course of time, but here it's Mike Enos, and I recognize him right away. I go, that's Blake Beverly, which is which is fine. Well, it's Blake Beverly and Chaps, assless Chaps, I guess, but he doesn't even have a name at this point. He 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 goes by the Mauler, which is the most generic 1970s mask guy name I could think of. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like. All chaps are assless, by the way. So well, I mean, it sounds funny when you say assless chaps. So. <laughs> it it does. Uh, that's the Shawn Michaels joke. But anyway, um, no, I knew who it was immediately. I'm like, oh, that guy looks familiar. I mean, he does a decent job of getting away from that Blake Beverly look with the oh, short yeah. hair. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, a full on beard. Like you had to a, do a double an actual thing. tan. Um, yeah, yeah. So he he looked pretty good. Some of the offense he was doing was. Not bad either. I mean, he was trying to get over this dude. Yeah, he was like, he knew he's about to get overshadowed by, you know, who. And it's like, I'm going out here. I'm doing all sorts of crazy shit. I'm going to kill this guy if I have to like a fallway slam off the top off the middle rope. And And Steve Dahl is no small guy here in 1996. He's pretty built himself. Steve Dahl's pretty big dude. Yeah. You know, I was thinking like. Why couldn't he work like this when he's in the ring with the Steiners? Could you imagine <laughs> Enos doing this stuff with the Steiners? And probably wasn't permitted to. Yeah, we're work. not going to do that, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably wasn't. But, I mean, I'm just saying, like, no, I get you. you see what Fire or not Fire and Ice can do with the Steiners tossing right. each other around. Yeah. If the Beverly's were able to do that, they're a little bit smaller and would have looked good doing it, like getting tossed like that. I know they did a little bit at the Rumble, but. It'd be nice to see a return, and Enos was doing some stuff that would have looked good against the Steiners. This was just a throwaway, which is odd for a guy that you hyped at the beginning of the show. Right, yeah, and that's exactly what it was, like you said, especially given the finish they do here. So as the match gets started, Mike Enos tries to attack Dahl, but Steve Dahl's ready, and Dahl on the attack instead. It doesn't last long, though, before the Mauler lands an overhead belly-to-belly on Dahl, and then a middle-rope fallaway slam. And I wrote, he's trying. At Dahl's expense, because he launches Dahl to the other side of the ring there. Yeah, <laughs> so he does. Fun, fun spot. The Mauler then mauls Dahl. Kind of boring, but it is what it is. As they both, he d- did keep his namesake. He mauls Dahl as they both go over the top rope to the floor, and he mauls Dahl some more all around the outside, throws him into the steps, throws him into the post, throws him into the rail. I wrote, what a Mauler. Oh, I get it. Okay, that's why he has that name, at least for now anyway. We're only two and a half minutes into this guy's debut match, and we go to a commercial break. Boy, they're treating him like a cruiserweight here, Steve. Back from break, the Mauler drops Dahl across the top rope, and it's almost like coming back from commercial was a signal for what happens next. I wrote, 
What the fuck? That's Razor Ramon in the crowd. As the cameras follow Razor Ramon through the crowd, he's walking down to ringside, and he hops the rail. And he even takes the ring announcer's microphone, enters the ring, and Rob Parker just comes inside and escorts the mauler out. This is the Enos' perfect opportunity to go, you're not stealing my thunder, maybe attack Razor here, but it wasn't in the cards, and Rob Parker comes in, and he escorts Enos out, and the match just gets thrown out just like that. No finish whatsoever, and then this happens. Wait a minute. But... But, what the hell but is going what? on here? But the mall, well, he just got reversed right there. Oh, the motor runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Oh, well, What's what the hell? Wait a minute. Somebody give me a mic. Give me a mic. What's with this? Wait, wait, we need security here. I, we, I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm seeing. You people, What's with him? you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is Billionaire Ted? Okay. Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me? I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, oh where, is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're gonna get one. Fanta, what about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy? Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What what what's going? So I didn't just want to include the Hall promo. I wanted to get that opening with Larry and Tony when they first realize Scott Hall's in the crowd. They're they're doing as good a job as they can and playing it off like, this is real. This is a shoot, brother. What the hell's going on? Yeah, they did. They did an excellent job. They even did a good job throughout the promo, too. Like, what's going on here? Like, normally when they're doing a promo or an interview, people are quiet. They don't talk. You can't hear them if they are talking. Maybe they go mute or something, but... They're talking over like we gotta get this taken care of. What's he doing here? Why is he in our ring? What's he? Why is he talking? Why are we allowing this? It's like they have no clue what's going on, and that just overemphasizes uh, the appearance of Scott Hall here. Great job all around by everybody. The promo was excellent. The <laughs> was hilarious. I thought it was great. WCW. Um, so I I just think uh, uh, this was just I don't want to say perfect. Because, I mean, you could probably 
nitpick everything. Mm-hmm. But this was game changing. What a way to debut your first hour, like unopposed. You know, unopposed, you got Razor Ramon showing up on WCW TV. So why the hell would you even switch the channel to the WWF to find out what they're doing if you're doing this in WCW? Like, WWF guys are showing up on WCW. This changes the entire landscape of wrestling forever. And um started with the two-minute promo. <laughs> Yeah, that's all. It, that's all it was. You know, people might remember it a little different. Like, man, Scott Hall was out there. He cut this big long pro. No, just two minutes. He, they were giving him two minutes to make this work, and it was huge. And I remember waiting for weeks. When is he going to debut? What are they going to do? How is he going to debut? Is he going to attack somebody? Is it going to be just a match? Are they just going to announce them as new wrestlers? Like, what's going to happen? And this is what we get. And and at this point, I'm fully aware that he's signed with WCW. That he's no longer with the WWF. But at the same time, even though I know this, I'm still buying the story. Like, I'm still buying, man, it's, I don't know, though, you know, that he's still acting like Razor Ramon. I mean, he's out here, he's doing the Razor mannerisms, he's cutting the promo like Razor's, got the toothpick. <laughs> now, I know he did a lot of this as the Diamond Stud as well, the toothpick deal and all that stuff, but, I mean, he's, we've learned this from Razor Ramon, and the, the camera, it's just, he's doing all this, and then they cut into commercial. It's like, man, was that supposed to happen? And the announcers certainly played off nice. I thought they did a really good job, especially Larry, because Larry was doing like the angry bit because he was a wrestler before. So even though Scott Hall's like one of Larry's, you know, best buddies, so he's playing along. But Zabisco did a really good job as being angry. Like you guys aren't coming in here, you know, and interrupting my time. And uh, Tony, obviously, from the announcer's perspective, just very confused. Like what, what the hell's going on? What was what was the finish of the match kind of deal or whatever? So I hated the only thing you talk about nit- nitpicking. And and mm-hmm. I, I, did, I probably didn't even think about this in 96, but once everybody started doing this kind of stuff all the time over in the WWF, that's when it hit me. It probably was from ECW. ECW is more realistic. But here in WCW, because this is still uncharted territory, I hated that Hall left up the aisle, right? Because he comes out of the crowd, yeah. but then he goes up the aisle to the locker room where everybody is that he's getting ready to call uh, start a war with. So I get wanting to make, you know, sure everyone saw it, but this would have been great if they had done it closer to that 857, that raw time frame, like maybe 850. They do this somewhere around like 825. So, but I guess it really doesn't matter if, if you got that free hour, hopefully people are tuning in at this point and they're like, "You're I'm I'm with you." I'm like, "Why am I changing the channel? I don't know when this guy's going to show back up and I know by this point that Kevin Nash is signed, so I'm waiting for him to show up." So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's boom. They've they've uh, you know they like like we said shots fired. They shot they fired shots with the debut edition of Nitro with Lex Luger and with uh, Alundra Blaze and, and all that stuff back in '95. Uh, but this is this is uh, monstrous the way they portray this as outsiders, so to speak, coming into the company. Yeah, I think too. Like me as me personally I, when i was watching this i didn't i didn't know, i didn't have any clue what the observer was like if i was right. i may have been, i may have been on the internet and doing stupid stuff but i wasn't going around looking for wrestling news and and things like that it just it's not as easy as it is now man internet speeds were terrible back in the day you had to log in and wait 30 minutes just to get a page to load it felt like so um not as easy to just get information mm-hmm. sent to you so as a kid and not having any clue, like thinking everything's real. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, Razor's on here. Who else came with him to invade WCW? Like, uh, you think it's a full on invasion. I'm just waiting. Like who else is going to show up? That's how I would, that's how I looked at it when I was a kid. And like, I, I wouldn't want to, I'm sure I turned to raw. Cause I remember the, 
the end of Raw. So I, I, I know I flipped over because I'm, I'm kind of loyal to WWF anyway. Sure. Always have. But um, I tuned in. But if you're just like a casual viewer and you, you know this guy, you're like, oh, shit, I'm just going to stay here. I'm not changing the channel. What else is going to happen? They did an excellent job with that. And I will say, like, I don't I don't know if it's the right time to bring this up, but I know Bischoff has recently come out and this is kind of prevalent now because AW and all those marks are saying that, uh, you know, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan had a bigger impact than Hall and Nash coming to WCW. But it's going to take five years to see that. Like, I, no, like if it's going to take five years to have an impact, then it's not an impact. I don't think. Like Bischoff is 100% correct in his thought process of I went head to head with Vince McMahon at his time on his established night and I made him change the way he operates his business. No other person has done that. No one, no other person has done it since then. No, no one person will ever do that again. I don't think, but Bischoff went at it and he beat the shit out of Vince McMahon for 83 weeks that's winning. Like what AEW is doing is not winning. So Hall and Nash moving to WCW was groundbreaking. And as soon as it happened, it, it was a wrap, man. Wrestling was on the map and they elevated the entire business. It wasn't just WCW. Everything came up with it. The rising tide is what they like to say. That's what they did. CM Punk and Daniel Bryan made a debut in AEW and they're, they're, they're below a million viewers again. So what kind of impact are they making? You selling some more T-shirts? Good for you. You know, it's like you're not doing nothing. <laughs> you're bringing in the same fans you already had. So it's not even close to the amount of impact that these two make. Well, I'm going to go back to what you said about being a WWF loyalist. Uh, you, you have Hall basically portraying himself as a WWF wrestler. Let's be honest. I mean, they can say that that's – Bischoff can say till he's blue in the face, that wasn't what I was trying to do. But – Seriously, I mean, early on, I mean, just the way it was implied, these guys don't work here. I mean, where the fuck do they work then? You know what I mean? But yeah, to be a, to yeah. be a WWF loyalist, you know that's Razor Ramon. You know that's Diesel. No matter what name they're using in WCW here, because they don't even use names early on. Again, trying to make themselves portray them as Razor and Diesel. But you being a WWF loyalist, now you have in your eyes WWF on both channels. So very smart by Eric Bischoff here, and just uh, really good work by Scott Hall. But that was a very pivotal and important segment in the history of the Monday Night War, so I'm happy we spent mm-hmm. a little time on it. But let's not forget, there was a match in the ring. The match total between the Mahler and Steve Dunn went about five and a half minutes. Now, two of those minutes were a commercial break, and another 30 seconds of that was Scott Hall walking to the ring. So the Mahler makes his debut and gets about two minutes of TV time and no finish. This is how you debut a new guy. Clearly, Mike Enos goes nowhere from here. We know that, but you didn't know that going in. And you debut him in a throwaway match with no finish like a bitch. So uh, Mike Enos was screwed from the start here. Yeah, even if you wanted to do something <laughs> with him, it's not happening now. He's a complete afterthought. Yeah, just save, like, just save him for yeah. another week is all I'm, all I'm saying. Just yeah. throw, another, throw another guy out there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I, it's kind of like I hate to go this deep or whatever, but it's like Farrah Fawcett dying the same day Michael Jackson died. It's yeah. like everybody remembered Michael Jackson, but you, you had a little blurb for Farrah Fawcett, and that's not fair to her. And I'm not saying Mike Enos is on the level of a Scott Hall or – a great talent and right. all this, but 
we talked about it at the beginning of the show. They said Parker has a new guy, and this is how you debut him, making him a complete afterthought to where he's useless. So, yeah. uh, not that's the stupidest thing that they did as far as that segment goes. Is why didn't you do the Bobby Walker match? Right, that would have made yeah. There, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, and like, to be honest, I liked what Mahler was doing. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of that. I mean, he was tossing that dude around like he was nothing. So it was. Uh, he looked better than what he ever did as Blake Beverly, so it's kind of unfortunate for him. But he's a he's a trivia question, I guess. I guess so. Uh, we continue on with the show. It is the Lord of the Ring, the winner of the Slamboree Battle Bowl, Diamond Dallas Page, taking on Craig Pittman, now managed by Teddy Long. Of course, Pittman a babyface, Teddy Long a babyface manager, and he seems to only want to manage job guys, so maybe Pittman made a bad decision here. <laughs> Larry Zabisco makes great points about how Teddy Long took a killer instinct of Craig Pittman out of Pittman and made him a jobber essentially here. So good promo or co- commentary here by Zabisco making some real points. Then Larry makes a shit point immediately afterwards when he calls DDP the new American dream because DDP went from the gutter back to the penthouse here uh, out of nowhere. I wonder who did that. DDP does push-ups to mock Craig Pittman as the match gets going. Pittman does a one-arm push-up himself. DDP then tries to sucker him with a punt kick, but he misses. Diamond Dallas Page hurts himself on a headbutt and staggers around and falls out of the ring because Craig Pittman's black and he has a hard head. Uh, I wrote, ugh, really, in 1996. And uh, DDP does some comedy routines selling outside. He gets tangled up in the camera cords. I'm sure it would have been really funny had he pulled the plug. (laughs) So Might make it fun of make it make it fun of WWF's paper. Well, Bischoff is on commentary. He would have he would have picked that up. But uh, our, yeah, so, our, our 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 power doesn't go out here. Our power doesn't and go out here. Strikes immediately. Uh, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Paige on the outside, he gets back up onto the apron. He drops Pittman's throat across the top rope in a very sloppy looking spot. Pittman then looking for Code Red. He and he pl- and he applies it, but. Pittman's a former wrestler. He knows what he's doing. Why he's applying Code Red while DDP is on his stomach. Code Red, by the way, for those who don't know, is the Jujigatami, the cross arm breaker. Here he has it applied, but DDP laying on his stomach. So it's applied upside down, which allows DDP to reach the ropes. And he grabs Teddy Long, who actually has to lean into the ring in order for DDP to even grab him. I don't know who booked this shit. Very bad decision-making, though, is Teddy Long has to lean into the ring in order for DDP to grab him by his suit, which causes Pittman to release Code Red and check on his manager, which then, in turn, allows the Pitbull to turn around into the diamond cutter. DDP picks up the win in 2 minutes and 58 seconds. DDP is not the main eventer that we would uh, come to know as of yet. Uh, I I hate to give him shit here early on, but this all felt forced and rushed. And I wasn't having it at this point. I wasn't buying into this at all. And this match was not good. I wasn't buying into it either. We're a far cry from the, the decent matches he was putting on with Johnny B. Bad a few months ago. Right. So yeah. um, now Pittman's not the greatest worker in the world either. So that's no. that's going to hinder him. But I would almost venture to guess. I'm sure Paige is happy with the opportunity he's given. But I, he's clearly not ready for what they're trying to push him as. Uh, he should be a little bit lower. I don't know why he's Lord of the Ring, whatever. But um, yeah, it's not working right now. We're far cry from the Macho Man feud. <laughs> Speaking of the Macho Man feud, we get a crazy man, not Macho Man, a crazy man Randy Savage video as we go back in time and see all kinds of clips and highlights of all the crazy things 
Randy Savage has been doing over the last several weeks or months. We hear Chris Cruz's voice doing the voiceover work here as they say the Macho Man has lost control. An entire video dedicated to showing how crazy the Macho Man's been. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, they have all this time. It's so weird. Like, we're so used to two and three hour TV. It's like, wow, they have they don't have enough shit for all this. But back then, it's like, wow, we have so much time. <laughs> So uh, it's definitely new and different. You didn't get these very often because you, you have, what, 50, about 43 minutes, 45 minutes taking out your commercials. So you, right. you don't have a lot of time and you got to get what you need in. So vignettes and, and videos didn't really make the cutting room. They hit the floor. So uh, it's nice that they have this time and they're definitely utilizing it with these video packages. I don't mind them. I think they're pretty good. Well, more on that in just a little bit, by the way, Steve. As we go to the back, it's me and Gene Okerlund. Ha! Standing by with Shark. Shark gets his, like, first promo ever in WCW, and he looks absolutely ridiculous here in his costume and his fake teeth colored onto the sides of his face. Can it get any worse here for John Tenta, I wrote? Apparently, it can. Uh, we learned that the giant choke-slammed Tenta at the Slamboree pre-show after Shark and Max Muscle lost a tag team match. This is where we find out that Shark is no longer with the Dungeon of Doom. He was used by Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan, then booted him from the Dungeon of Doom after that loss at the Slamboree pre-show. Shark says he was the one who almost ended Hulkamania, referring to the 1990 feud in the WWF, and now he will be the one to end the Giant. So referencing Hulk Hogan there, kind of reminding people of who he is, or was. He's definitely not that now. Um Oh, it's a good way to get yourself over. Like, hey, I almost killed Hogan. So why not use it to your advantage, you know? Yeah, and while we're speaking of Hogan, you know, you put over how great it is that being in two hours, we get all these awesome vignettes and videos and things, and then this happens here. It's a Hulk Hogan video. That's right, a Hulk Hogan video. He's not in the company right now. He's too busy doing Thunder in Paradise. But we have to be reminded of how cool Hulk Hogan is, so they make a video of him Hanging out with celebrities. I wrote, fucking really? It's uh, Lee Marshall. They're great with the voiceover here. They show Hogan hanging out with George Foreman, Shaquille O'Neal, Dennis Rodman, Kevin Green, even Sugar Ray Leonard. And hey, did you know that Hulk Hogan visits charity, Steve? He donates to charity, or at least he donates his time to charity anyway. Fans buy his merch. They also point out, as they show Hulk Hogan merchandise in the crowd, and I forgot there was a foam ear at one point, cu cupping ear with his hand cupping the ear. That was a foam thing <laughs> once upon a time. I, I uh, totally forgot that, probably for good reason here. It's evident at this point, uh, at this point, I say, that they were still staying on the same track with Hogan. Like, when he was coming back at this point, he was still going to be the, this, this shit that they'd pushed down our throat <laughs> for the last uh, however many months here. In, uh, on Monday Nitro. Uh, glad it doesn't work out that way when he does finally come back, but I just wrote, yuck. As they, they literally made a video reminding us of how cool he is because he hangs out with celebrities and he goes to charity events. And this is why it sucks sometimes to have two hours of, of time to kill. <laughs> well, he hasn't been on TV for a couple weeks, so they got to remind us. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is, man. I don't really care about these things. It doesn't bother me one way or another. It's just, it's like a minute, move on. Like, uh, it's whatever. That's not why people listen to us, Steve. They want to hear you make fun of it, to make fun of things. <laughs> well, you can make fun of it. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I will say the Sugar Ray promo was horrendous. I mean, that was 
Some of these people are bad, but that was terrible. Oh, like, he didn't know what to say. Was... You think Sugar Ray Leonard's ever he watched? Had no <laughs> right. idea. Yeah, but Sugar Ray was at WrestleMania four with his kids. He was there. The, uh, yeah, because Vince was promoting. Yeah, and, uh, well, Vince was promoting the fight. Of so he's he seen there. wrestling. I mean, oh, he's I'll, seen I'll it. Say that you said you think he's watched. Re- I mean, he's he's a, he's a competitor. I'm I'm sure he's watch some wrestling in his time uh, i wouldn't be surprised well that, that's he's possible i i don't i don't know that he's hulk hogan's buddy though i think they <laughs> think they ran into the charity and said hey how could you cut a promo with us okay whatever that's kind of how they sold it <laughs> yeah but probably I, who knows but, so we return um, though for more action and we saw Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko for the first 50 minutes or so of the show while well, they're switching over now to eric bischoff and bobby heenan who will handle the final 65, 70 minutes of the show. They want Bischoff and Heenan on the TV before Raw goes on the air at 8.57. But no more Mongo. He's gone from commentary. So I wrote, yay. So that we got that to look forward to anyway, as it's just Eric and Bobby at this point. We go to the ring for our first big match. It's the match going up against the <laughs> debut, or the not the debut, but the uh, first uh, several minutes of Raw. And what a match it is. I guess they figured if they put the WCW title on the line, that's all they would need. They're going to need a little more than this, though. Is this the Giant defending his title against the Shark? The Shark tackles the Giant early on. Nobody moves. Shark runs into a Giant clothesline, and down goes Shark. Down goes Shark, Steve. Heenan uh, says the Shark has a few options here. He could be mounted on a wall, or he could become fish sticks. To the point even Eric Bischoff, <laughs> even Eric Bischoff has to laugh right on camera. And then it, he goes, fish sticks. That was a good one, Bobby. So even Bischoff gives that, that one to Bobby. Right? Yeah. So Shark tries to pick the giant up for a slam, but he can't slam the giant. However, the giant can slam the shark with ease, too. He completely uh, rotated a shark head over heels and slammed him down. They trade yeah. shoulder butts late in the match in the corner. Giant then runs into a shark boot. And Quake goes up to the middle rope and comes off of the clothesline, which actually drops the Giant for the first and only time in the match. And then Jimmy Hart up on the apron to run uh, interference as Shark gets up and grabs Jimmy to bring him into the ring. But the Giant catches the Shark with the Giant choke slam, picks up the win, 3 minutes and 59 seconds. And then post-match, the all-new dirty <laughs> Big Bubba, no trouble, comes in with a pair of scissors and some clippers, and he cuts half. Of the head of Shark's hair off, a la Bob Roop and Luna Vachon. This is something Kevin Sullivan did in Florida in his old demonic days. He would cut people's hair, half of their hair off, and then kind of control them after that. And Bob Roop went from amateur uh, wrestling great to uh, Maya Singh, the crazy monster from, from wherever the fuck. And, of course, Luna, we've seen her head shaved many a time since then. But So... That's what Sullivan was going for here in the booking, but this just made Shark or Tenta or whatever you want to call him look like a complete buffoon as Bubba comes out. And he, he does the job in four minutes. Then Bubba comes out and cuts half of his head. Bubba had like a ring for every finger, too. I don't know if you saw that, but my goodness. This is, yeah, this is the beginning <laughs> no, of dir- this- Dirty Big Bubba. I'm going to call him Dirty Big Bubba because I don't really know how else to explain, uh, explain this character here in leather pants and a uh, torn off sleeveless shirt. And then the hair and the beard continue to grow. Yeah, it looks like he doesn't take a bath for like eight weeks. Um, eight years. Just bad. Just bad. Especially when they get to those Atlanta, when Atlanta, they're stuck in Florida so that because of the Olympics. 
my God, he's out there every week sweating his ass off, and he looks the exact same week over week. Like it just gets worse and worse. It's like what happened to '91 Boss Man? Like that non-finish at Mania Seven completely killed all desire (laughs) and fire that Big Boss Man had. (laughs) It never came back. No, this was uh, the angle is okay. Like I don't mind the angle; it's the idea. But the shark, nobody gives a shit about the shark. That's my point. Nobody gives a shit. Yes, it was wasted. It was wasted on a guy that nobody cares about. So you're going to cut his head off, cut his hair off, and um, make it look like a complete jackass. For well, I don't months. know, though, because let's, let's go back several months ago. I remember talking about this when it happened. Sullivan, if you remember, they shave Hulk Hogan's mustache off. And I think we kind of decided even then, because it really didn't get over or do anything, is that's a great angle, especially for Hulk Hogan, but it's out of date. This is something that would have been huge in the 80s. Uh, cutting people's hair and shit here in 96 yeah. just... It just ain't working. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you there. I think the the mustache, obviously, he was doing it for a movie, but it didn't have the effect. But Hogan, to me, like wasn't just he wasn't over. Nobody gave a shit. They probably liked the fact that he lost his beard because <laughs> well, he was more over than Shark at that point. Well, yeah, I agree there, but I don't know if it's a it's a bad angle that you just can't do in '96. I think you can. Like, could you imagine if they did the narcissist gimmick in 96 in WCW, and then somebody just came in and chopped his hair off? Like, that would probably have some impact, and he'd be pissed off. Right. So, I mean, I think it could work. It's just you got to have the right character and somebody that's over enough in a way that is pissed off if you start messing with their stuff, you know, like their hair or their gear or something like that. So I think it could work. Just Shark's been off TV for how long? And then he just comes in, you're going to cut his hair, and we're supposed to feel sorry for him. <laughs> Right, he does a job in four minutes. It's not going to work. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work. Like, who cares? Well, let's remember, they, they couldn't even put this on the pay-per-view. They had him do the face turn on the pre-show. So that's how much they really care about this whole thing here. Yeah, I, that's what's sad about it, is that Tinta just cut off half his hair for something nobody gives a shit about. And we're not even done here, because eventually so. he's going to lose half his beard as well and look really ridiculous. Uh I how would you? Why would you want to walk around in public? I, I don't know. To continue making six figures, I suppose. I guess. Like I, so, I always wondered that. Like guys like Hawk and Animal walking around with their hair like that. Like I wouldn't. I mean, I guess you're Hawk and Animal, but whatever. Like why would you? I wouldn't want to walk around in public. So I guess with the way the money the roadies were making, I mean, I guess you wouldn't really pay attention or, or give a shit one way or the other. But uh, thing is, here you know, like there, this is going up against the opening of Raw, so. Giant and Shark, and then Big Bubba, who's also very low on the totem pole at this point, cutting the hair of the shark, and this is going up against the Ultimate Warrior of all things. I'm not saying the Warrior Gold Dust match was good by any means, but it's still the Ultimate Warrior. So you kind of dropped the ball here, I feel like. Yeah, I think if you tune in, to, if you just quickly flip over to see what's going to be on Raw real quick, and you see the Ultimate Warrior, because like, the show comes on and Gold Dust is in the ring, like already with his gear and everything off, he's taking his wig off and then warriors music hits almost immediately. So it was nowhere near as good as what we remember the ultimate warrior as, but it's still the ultimate warrior. So I'm wondering, I don't think he does the breakdown of like 15 minute quarters. Would it be interesting to know like who won that? That'd be something that'd be cool, but I don't think he did it back then. Meltzer. Yeah. We'll have to see when that starts getting implemented. We go back to the Ringo. It's television champion Lex Luger taking on Max Muscle. Well, the former Max Muscle. Now, cleverly, they've just changed his name to Max. As Max is uh, now part of the Dungeon of Doom with a new look. No longer the bodyguard of DDP. Uh, He's in the dungeon, but no manager here. 
And I about forgot Luger was even the TV champion. He defends it so often. There was a sarcasm in there, Steve. Uh, between not defending it and in upper tier storylines, you know, with Sting as his partner and feuding with all these guys in the main events, it doesn't make any sense for him to be TV champion anymore, but it feels like they don't know how to get it off of him or who to put it on. Yeah, I, I, my first note was I totally forgot they even had a TV title. Right. And I forgot that Luger was even the champion. He didn't even bring it down to the ring with him. It was always right. the tag belt or whatever. Yeah, uh, I know they do a great job of building that title back up later on. But um, right now, it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> like, how do you how do you get it off of him though? Well, That's it's definitely definitely not going to be Max taking the belt here. So I wrote Luger is the TV champion, one half of the tag team champions with Sting, and now he has the opportunity to become WCW champion at the Great American Bash against the Giant. They're really putting all their chips no in one bowl, in one bowl here. No wonder uh, he came back to WCW. <laughs> I guess they don't know. They don't have anybody else to do anything with. Of course, it'll change here soon, but Lex, yeah, Lex is, uh, <laughs> when it went in doubt, just give Luger a title shot, I suppose. By the way, you remember yeah. Giant versus the Shark? Well, this is no better. In fact, this is a little worse. This is not how you keep your audience when Raw comes on at, at 9 o'clock, uh, except for a couple of clotheslines early on in the match It's uh, by Lex Luger. It's completely generic offense by Max Muscle, a very green Max Muscle for the entire match. I have no idea who thought this was a good idea having Max Muscle lead Lex Luger around the ring. Max finally runs into a boot and Luger with the loaded forearm. Uh, it beat Yokozuna, says Eric Bischoff, but Max Muscle up right away. They loved doing that back then. I felt like it killed killed Luger a little bit because they could have always kept that in the back pocket to use it when they needed to use it. And instead, they just loved getting over the fact that none of their guys, even their lower tier guys, would sell the forearm beyond like a normal blow. Uh, because this is WCW where the big boys play, Steve. As uh, Luger nails the crappy power slam, and he can barely get Max up into the rack, and Luger would always have trouble doing that. Uh, no help from Max here, but he's finally up into the rack, and it's over. Lex Luger picks up the win, 5 minutes and 45 seconds. Probably about 5 and a half minutes of that was Max Muscle on top. And uh, during the match, Bischoff uh, uh, shouted something on commentary. They're playing up what's to come later in the show. He says, get him out of here. I'll let him speak at the end of the show, again, referencing Scott Hall. So now we've been taught that Scott Hall will be back at the end of the show. Yeah, he he brings this up quite a bit throughout the night. But, yeah, this makes – and also, like, he didn't really reference who it was. I mean, we know it's Hall, but we, at that point, we didn't know if it could have been somebody else or, or who or, or what. So, um, yeah, we know it's Hall, but it could also be somebody else, and that, that that's intriguing too. So – they're kind of teaching you that anything's possible, which is what you would want in a wrestling uh, show. Like anything can happen at any given time. But um, no, the match itself is sucked. Max is terrible. I don't know why he was in the ring. This was no fault of Luger. Uh, another Meltzer narrative. I don't know if you've seen it in this observer or which, or which one. I know it comes up. I think it's when he does the rack on roadblock. It took him like three or four times. And it's right. just like, you know, you know, he's in a match for four or five minutes. I'm not just defending Luger because I like Luger, but to me, it's like I always just thought it was him selling the story that he's he's in a long match or a decent. He's in a he's in a five minute match no, with a four. No, I've seen, guy. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen all, I've seen all these matches, Steve. That's not what it is. Luger I, is just like any other bodybuilder. He has he has no ability. He has no strength. Luger looks great, but he doesn't have. He's not a power lifter. He's a bodybuilder. He doesn't have any strength, and he has trouble getting guys up. 
like Max Muscle. If they don't jump the proper way or he doesn't get the exact balance he needs, Luger has these issues all the time. Uh, it's it's pretty well, common. Uh, if some dude jumps when you're not ready, it's going to be hard to do. I don't care if you have the strength or not. Uh, I mean, it is a, a 350, 400-pound guy jumping wrong, and you got to lift him up. Like you're not going to deadlift that. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't care how strong you are. It's not going to happen. If it was Rey Mysterio, he would deadlift him all day, whether he jumped or not. It doesn't matter. Or even like a Bagwell or DDP, he could do it. But these dudes are huge. So I get what they're trying to do. I like the idea of getting the rack over that he can get anybody in it. But I don't know. I always, that always bothered me. And it's, to me, I just think he brings it up and talks about it because at some point during the timeline Luger became shit and he didn't like him anymore. So it's like, let's bag <laughs> on Luger. Cause uh, we, 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 we used to, yeah, I mean, nights. I had a lot of conversations about those torture racks back then myself, and I wasn't reading the observer like that. So I, it had nothing to do with Dave Meltzer. Uh, it was just very obvious. No, like no, it was I'm embarrassing and it ruined his character because you got to remember a lot of these guys that they have him out here doing this to. Yeah, they're big, but a lot of them are lower tier job guys. And he can't get him up. So even though it's like, well, he can't get him up because they're 450 pounds. Yeah, but he can't get up roadblock or whoever the case may be. And it just makes Luger look bad. I wish they had given him. That's why I said, keep the forearm in the back pocket. I get he can rack anybody that that makes sense that that's what you would want him to do. But there's got to be times where it's like, yeah, but I can't really rack that guy. So can we do a different finish this week? And I think that would have really helped Luger. Whereas Bischoff's too gung ho about Bischoff's too gung ho about you know making the WWF look weaker because you know Luger used a forearm fucking three years ago for a finisher. Yeah, and it's like why why is Luger even doing it if it's totally ineffective? Like you're making Luger look like an idiot too. Why do you keep going back to a week over week when it's not doing anything to anybody? It's a, yeah, and it's he, like and a he, transition move or, he or keeps, something like that. He and keeps referencing Luger knocking out Yokozuna, which happened three fucking years ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Yoko's like not even on WWF TV. Vader Barely. just killed. Barely. Yeah, like Vader just killed Yoko's leg. Like, I mean, well, he's on. doing like, pay per views and things right now. He's still losing though. Yeah, Yoko's going to lose all the way out here. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's fine. I'm just saying, like, you, like you said, it's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. Right. It's three years old. Who cares, dude? You haven't watched WWF since then. Like, <laughs> Apparently not. Knocking? I know, right? <laughs> So post match after you say like that knocked out their WWF champion Bret Hart. I mean, I still it's still true. three months old, but that's I mean, true. there's other people you could mention, but right, he must not like Yoko. No, I think he's just using Yoko as an example because he's a big monster guy over there. He knocked out the big monster Yokozuna to show you how how much better Luger is than the d- competition. But speaking of Luger, uh, he can barely rack Max Muscle, right? Well, he wasn't <laughs> racking Yoko. It I'll makes him look bad. Oh, yeah. Like his forearm's not knocking him out, and he can barely rack him. So you're That's, telling me that Lex Luger sucks. That was my entire point, though. Let him use the forearm or something. Yep. Anything. So, But in the ring after the match, Luger gets the win, and Mean Gene in the ring to talk to Lex Luger. And uh, it was very unique the way Luger got a WCW title shot as DDP gets pulled after winning the Battle Bowl. He was, DD, it was supposed to be DDP versus the Giant, God forbid, and then DDP versus Muda. And then finally, DDP versus Bagwell. So talk about <laughs> going down the totem pole there uh, for, for DDP. But it's Luger who winds up getting the WCW title shot against the Giant. And uh, Mean Gene says that's quite a unique way. 
that you uh, got the title shot. Lex says he doesn't make the matches. WCW does. But nobody wants the Giant more than Lex Luger after what Giant did to Luger. For those who don't remember or haven't listened to recent episodes of Monday Warfare, the Giant chokeslam Luger through a table at ringside during a previous title shot Luger had. And everyone is out here trying to make a living, says Lex Luger. Just put some food on the table and the Giant tried to take Lex out of the business. Luger says the Giant wasn't trying to win a match. He wanted to take Lex out, but Luger is still here. Lex wants every big man in the WCW before he gets to the Giant. And Payback Steve are a you-know-what. That's exactly what Lex says. Gene thinks racking the Giant is an impossible mission. We'll see what happens. I guess so. I don't really know what happens till we get there. I, this is kind of blocked out of my I don't memory. Remember the, <laughs> I don't remember the Bash match, but I do know at some point the Giant ends up in the rack. I well, it's Mean that. Gene. He reports a lot of false shit, so it's, it's just Mean Gene. What you going to do? Scheme Gene. Scheme Gene. That's right. That's what Scott Hall said earlier. So we go back to the ring for more action. It's Brad Armstrong, who recently had a cruiserweight title match against Dean Malenko at Slamboree. Brad's going to take on hard work Bobby Walker from the power plant. I remember Walker came in back in uh, 1992 for a very brief stint. He wasn't ready. He was very green. He got replaced by two cold Scorpio in his debut in WCW. So that kind of worked out nicely in a tag team match. Way back when at a Clash of the Champions. So Bobby Walker's been around quite a while off and on in WCW. Never really got that push. And then, of course, the lawsuit comes later. And Bobby makes a couple bucks from Turner anyway. Uh, Bobby out to the ring. Bobby Walker out here in a Bob Backlund robe and towel of sorts. As uh, Bobby Heenan on commentary <laughs> puts over Brad Armstrong hard here. Uh, makes it a far-gone conclusion that Brad is going to win this match based on experience alone. But that Bobby Walker will learn from his loss here against the uh, le- the veteran Brad Armstrong. I thought Bobby did a really good job trying to get both of these guys over. Nothing new there. That's what he does. Yeah. If it wasn't for Bobby, these guys would really be lost. Uh, not just Brad and Walker, but so many of these guys on the undercard that Bobby tries to push while Bischoff is pushing his own agenda of the, the upper card guys throughout the matches that there aren't even evol- involved mm-hmm. in. As the match gets going, Brad with a cheap shot early in the corner, but he really doesn't really never turn fully heel here in this match. Most of the match is just wrestling on the mat. A lot of wrestling holds and the botches begin. Brad does a monkey flip in which Walker's supposed to land on his feet, but he fails. Walker does recover after wobbling and and dropping to a knee. He gets up and tries to run across the ring up on top of the far corner, runs up the ropes. But as he gets to the top rope, yes, he slips and falls again, catches himself, but Eh, it was it was kind of rough there. And Bobby Walker was supposed to run up the ropes and nail a reverse body block. He still does, but of course he staggers and, and nearly falls, so it kind of ruins the momentum of the actual move. Walker with some quick pinfall attempts here doesn't get the win yet. Walker then in the middle rope tries to jump from the middle rope to the top rope, but he slips again, Steve, as he's jumping from one rope to the other. Uh, this is the third time he has lost his footing in this match, and this match doesn't go very long. Bobby does recover, though, and nails a flying shoulder block or something. It looked like he was going for a flying shoulder block, but he ends up doing a flip, so it almost looks like a blockbuster. Bobby Walker picks up the win with this top rope move. Five minutes and 26 seconds, and Bobby's still trying to get this guy over after the match, saying that Brad Armstrong saw him slip, so he was going to take the move because he didn't think anybody could recover that fast. Bobby Heenan, real quick thinking. Yeah, he's on top of his toes, and 
clearly you can see how knowledgeable he is at the uh, the business. I mean, nobody can ever question that. But if you look past the uh, the shenanigans and all the stupid stuff he says and the jokes and all that stuff, there's a brilliant, brilliant mind for wrestling that uh, is on display week in and week out here in WCW. And I, I love listening to him. He's excellent, man. He's the best. So uh, DeMelso shits on Bobby's commentary tonight because, of course, he does. He says they spent half of this match promoting the Mongo Green versus Flair Arn match to bash with Heenan repeatedly calling Deborah McMichael Brenda. What a terrible mistake for Bobby Heenan to make to get a football player's wife's name wrong. Although I get it. I get it, Dave. He should technically have it right, but he does call Deborah Brenda. I did notice that throughout this match. Uh, going back to the match really quick, it was not good. Poor Brad Armstrong stuck in this. Bobby Walker still not ready for TV. Uh, I, I like all the moves he was trying to do, and had he pulled them off, it would have probably made a really big impact. But the fact that he doesn't probably explains why hard, hard work Bobby Walker's uh, push here or whatever it was going to be doesn't, doesn't come to fruition at this point in time. We get a far shot from the ring. We do see Brad Armstrong get up and shake the man's hand, and they, they hug it out after the match. So Brad does not go heel. And then on commentary, Bischoff references Scott Hall again. He says he won't say his name due to other promotions, attorney vultures hovering around, but he will allow this guy to speak at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. So again, he's referencing, like you pointed out, Scott Hall going to going to still be back on the show here later tonight, but he's not saying his name. He's not saying his name, Steve, because they don't really know what to call him yet. And they they really want you to believe it's Razor Ramon. Yeah, that's that's just excellent. It's smart. Bischoff has said that they, that's not what they were going for. Well, he's he's uh, said quite often that uh, they never meant to imply that they were Razor and Diesel. That's basically probably a name said. only, which is which is probably accurate. <laughs> they probably didn't, weren't intending that to be the case by na- in name only. They wanted you to think they were outsiders working for WWF, but. They just weren't named Razor. So I know there's a huge lawsuit or threat of a lawsuit mm-hmm. if they didn't right. stop. And right. I know Vince sends them to court over the gimmick that Hall's using with the toothpick and the hair. And like it was, it was a pretty big stink up there. Yeah, so I, I, that's yeah I was, I was reading into that, and it's, it's kind of comical. Some of the things Vince wanted to sue over, like um, WCW stealing Vince's idea, supposedly, of giving Hall a Hispanic accent. I'm thinking now, when Razor pitched this Razor Ramon gimmick to Vince, and Vince didn't even know what Scarface was, pretty sure it was Ray, Scott Hall that, that gave him the uh, the Hispanic accent idea, but uh, Vince claims it's his, and yeah, it's just part of it. It's all, it's all funny. In fact, Razor Ramon stole it from Tony Montana. So, I mean, really, yeah. he, it's the, the people who created Scarface that should be suing Vince. I think what really saved him was the fact that they could point to the diamond stud yeah, for the toothpick and stuff in WCW before he even went to WWF. So right. uh, the mannerisms and the hair and the toothpick and all yeah. that, mm-hmm. they were, he was already doing it before WWF. So I think that's what saved him. But we know how it ends. They decide to go with the regular names. And um, I don't think there was a full on lawsuit. I think they settled or something. But yeah, it's just one of those inner things, little things that they did. <laughs> the The battles within for sure. The action continues as we go back to the ring. It's Alex Wright taking on Lord Steven Regal, accompanied by Jeeves to the ring. Great World of Sports-style takedowns and holds early on by Regal. Really fun counters by Alex Wright as well. Alex Wright busts out a couple of flying head scissors, takes Regal to the floor, and then a baseball slide and a plancha. 
by the Das Wanderkind. As we go into commercial break, we come back. It's Steve Regal now in control. Regal in the camera calls out the bloody wrestlers from other companies who want to come and take his spot. So Regal kind of getting into this already, even though he's nowhere near the top of the card. I did like that he did that there uh, without being told to do so. It may have been a shoot, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, Alex Wright comes back. Nasty European uppercuts here. Top rope backflip into a schoolboy. And a dropkick then sends Regal to the deck. And he went to the deck hard, says Eric Bischoff. Alex Wright tries a monkey flip, but Regal holds onto the ropes. Wright goes flying backwards, lands on the back of his head. Regal picks up the win with a jackknife pin. 10 minutes and 15 seconds. I wrote, uh, the match wasn't bad. It wasn't sloppy. The timing was off a little bit. It just never really clicked for me. And I, I was looking forward to it. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I thought Alex Wright looked good. Man, where's he been? I don't He hasn't been on TV in a minute. At least W Nitro. Anyway. Not Nitro. He could, yeah, be on, yeah. he could be on Saturday night or the I'm sure. I'm but, sure he's um, rocking the Disney tapings. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So, um, no, I think this was pretty good. There were some missed spots there. Um, a little sloppy, but... Overall, I thought it was I thought it was solid. I liked it. So for the last several weeks, we've been getting this Blood Runs Cold promo. Well, now we get a new promo with, with words and all kinds of fun things there. As it's, it's no longer Blood Runs Cold, Steve. It says Glacier is coming to WCW. So now we know a fellow by the name of Glacier is on his way into the company at some point. Did you have any clue, like, not reading or anything, just based off the videos itself. Did you have any idea like what they were kind of going with? No, no like, idea. What, at this point. what do no. you think it could have been? No, I, I couldn't okay, even I was, wrap I my mind curious. around it. Yeah, no, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. I didn't know what it meant. It meant honestly, blood runs cold. It sounded heelish to me, so I thought it was going to be some kind of a cool heel. Unfortunately, yeah, it's not cool or a heel. Like looking up, yeah. Well, 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 the thing is, is like looking at it now, it, it, it's clearly like you like uh, it's because we know who it is, but. Sub Zero makes perfect sense. Blood run cold. It's right. blue. Yeah, it kind of looks Mortal Kombat ish already, like just in the vignettes. But I never picked up on that as a kid. Like, no, I, I didn't never know what, put two what, and two together. What it was. And I played the hell out of the game. So when I saw Glacier, I was like, "Oh, dude, it's Sub Zero. That's awesome. I like this." And I didn't even mind the matches. I always ran with him in uh, the the sixty four game. Uh, I think it was uh, World Tour. He he had a sh- awesome like. Uh, dive over the top like a suicide dive over the top or you just run and jump over the top rope it was awesome i always always ran with glacier in that game so i didn't mind him well post commercial break with the glacier promo we come back and steven regal's in the ring with mean genoga steve regal getting a little interview time here so maybe two hours does pay off regal says his father will be pleased that he beat junior adolf here he refers to alex Wright as junior adolf here on memorial day so I thought that was funny. WCW oh has. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing for that. Okay. All right. Oh my God. That's not a... touching that one. Oh, bloody junior Adolf here. So uh, he talks about the WCW champion being from Barnum and Bailey, obviously the circus, the giant. He's a freak show. According to Regal, he's talking about macho man being a nut. Meanwhile, Regal took the toughest man in wrestling out just two weeks ago, obviously referring to Finley. Why is nobody looking at Regal? Gene says there's a youngster giving Regal a half of a peace sign. In the crowd, obviously a middle finger, Gene trying to be clever. Regal calls out WCW's franchise man, Sting. In order to get noticed, Regal challenges Sting to a match at the Great American Bash. 
I'm here for that. I'll take it. Yeah, it's good. This stuff. is a good promo, man. It was awesome. Like, yeah, Regal's how come this shit. dude doesn't get more, more, more talk? Like, how come yes. he can't talk more? Well, that was the basis like, of his promo. Why am I not getting more time? <laughs> yeah, so I'm just like, man, how can you not listen to this and although, give you more? So, although saying things uh, like Junior Adolf could could uh, play a part in not allowing him could, to have more. Well, time. yeah, that just cut <laughs> especially, that out. especially live. Whew, that's bad. Don't give Regal a live mic, no, <laughs> but. I liked it. So it's main he's event good. time. Yeah, he's he's great. One of my favorites of all time there uh, during this era. Unfortunately, you know, things go up and down from here in his career. But we go on to the main event of Monday Nitro. It's Sting taking on his good buddy, Scott Steiner. Steiner is getting super juiced at this point. I note in, in, in my notes, I put uh, Steiner press slam Sting early on. But Sting with an AJ Styles type drop down and drop kick. And a springboard back elbow out of the corner by Sting. And then a planche out of the floor. I wrote, what the fuck is going on here? Sting is like a, a rejuvenated version of himself as the match gets going. But Scotty comes back with a double underhook powerbomb and the rolling belly-to-belly suplex we've seen for so many years. Scott to the top rope with a double axe handle out onto the floor on the outside onto Sting. And then an overhead belly-to-belly as well. At one point, Scotty runs into a knee in the corner, takes a nasty knee shot, from Sting there, Bobby Heenan then uh, has some fun on commentary with the referee, who is Nick Patrick, as uh, there's a questionable count made by Patrick here. And uh, Heenan says, come on, ref, didn't your father ever teach you how to count to three? Well, maybe not in that family. And that's an inside joke. Uh, Nick Patrick, obviously the son of the assassin Jody Hamilton. So uh, Nick Hamilton, if you will. So uh, Heenan kind of given the assassin some shit here on, on, I'm sure he heard it. If he was awake, I hear stories of Jody Hamilton sleeping a lot. But uh, if he heard it, I'm sure he got a kick out of that. Bobby Heenan taking a shot at the assassin here on TV. Scotty locks in an STF at one point and a cross arm breaker on Sting as well. Sting counters a suplex into a future Scorpion death drop. Here it's just an inverted DDT, but I thought that was really cool. Scotty picks Sting up for the suplex. Sting floats over behind him and lands the Scorpion Death Drop here in uh, mid-1996. Sting makes the comeback. The big Stinger splash. He tries a second one, but he misses. And Scott Steiner locks him in a full Nelson Dragon suplex on the Stinger. And out comes Lex Luger, followed by Rick Steiner. So now we got guys out in both corners supporting their tag team partners. Scotty with a super Samoan drop off the middle rope onto Sting. He tries for the Frankensteiner, but Stinger holds onto the ropes. And then Stinger locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Scott Steiner is by the ropes, grabs the ropes, gets the break. Scott tries for a tombstone, which Sting reverses and nails the tombstone, which Bischoff just calls a pile driver. He doesn't want to call it a tombstone. Sting for a splash on Scott, but Scotty raises his knees up and he rolls out to the apron. Sting, or Sting on the outside, Scotty tries to suplex him back inside, but Sting suplexes Scott outside onto the floor. And Scott Steiner lands on his feet, or at least he was supposed to anyway. Scott tries to suplex Sting on the outside, but Lex goes after Scott Steiner, which causes Rick Steiner to make the save. He chases Luger into the ring. Both Steiners attack Luger. Sting joins in. Double disqualification. 10 minutes, 16 seconds. And I wrote, well, they were friends anyway, as this brawl concludes the episode. Uh, the crowd loving this. They're eating this up. The Steiners, Sting, and Luger all going at it as a bunch of wrestlers from the back come out to break things up. Even Chavo Guerrero out there. I noticed he might have been in town for a tryout, I, I believe. 
Yeah, this was fun. They were giving each other some shit, and that that knee to the in the corner. I think it it even popped Bischoff and Heenan like holy hell! Like he took yeah, Scott ran into that hard, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he ate it pretty good. So uh, that was a really cool spot. Kind of woke me up too. Um, it was nice to see like the Scorpion Death Drop, the Tombstone, that Dragon Suplex was nasty. I mean, Suplex to the floor. I mean, these dudes were doing a bunch of stuff. It was very entertaining. It didn't lull. It didn't go slow. It, it felt it felt fast paced. They were just going at it like. You know they say that you you they probably work a little tighter and a little snug with your friends because you guys you just know and appreciate each other. So um, they were giving it to each other. It was fun. It was a fun match, and the only bad part was the ending. I didn't like the ending, but you kind of seen it coming. They weren't going to let either one of these dudes take the job or take the loss. So I'm okay with it. I guess it just kind of stinks. Yeah, I mean that's a hell of a choice too to uh, put up against Raw here, Scott Steiner versus Sting. I mean, I'm down with that any any day of the week. And uh, Sting looking like the Sting of old. He's really taking some bumps I wouldn't have expected out of him. Eating a, a dragon suplex, for instance, and some of the stuff Sting was even doing himself early on in the match was pretty impressive uh, for the time period. So he was definitely into this. He was looking to put on a hell of a match, and they did a good job. Again, you didn't expect either one of these guys to really go over here. So unless Lex Luger shenanigans possibly Sting could have won, I, I suppose. But that wasn't in the cards, and I'm glad that's not what we got. Although Double DQ's not really fun either, but that's still a, a it was a fun match up until the finish. Do they get? Does this lead to a title match like uh, Great American Bash or no, no Bash? We have it's Fire and Ice with the with the the Steiners. They're coming off that double countout from a week or two ago yeah. or whatever that was. Yeah. So this would make perfect sense if it was going to lead to a match. It may on Nitro the next week. I don't know, but I wouldn't mind seeing the tag match. I know we've seen it before. What was that like a? It's a pay per view main event, wasn't it? It was on Super Brawl. Yeah, so it was a fun match then, and it'd be just as good now. So I wouldn't mind seeing it again. I don't know if we do, but uh, that's kind of how it felt. Like we was heading towards was the Sting Luger Steiners, but. In about a month and a half, everything gets flipped upside down. Yeah, it does indeed. And this is the guy who starts that whole thing getting flipped upside down. We cut back to Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan as they go to close the show. They're interrupted once again by this Razor Ramon-looking fellow. All right, all right, all right. Hey, looky here. You wanted to say... you got such a big mouth. And we, we are sick of it. What do you mean, who's we? You know who. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what. You go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. Hey, maybe, maybe he get the stinger. Woo, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want, because we... What do you mean, we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring, where it matters. 
Not on no microphones. Not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring where it matters. If, uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any, uh, any guts, because we are coming down here. You're stepping over the line. And like it or not, not. we are taking over. You're out of here. You're out of here. I don't know what to say. We'll see you next week. So I like the Scott Hall part of it, but I felt like Bischoff was really trying to ham it up there for Bischoff's sake. Uh, just responding so fast to some of the comments. Uh, it kind of killed Hall a little bit. Uh, like it or not, not. I uh, just, uh, I think Bischoff should have remained quiet, uh, let Hall do his thing there, and then maybe make a comment at the end there. Yeah, I agree with you there. It almost felt like Hall had to kind of answer or respond to him, and he kind of lost uh, the momentum there towards the end. Yeah, Bischoff would have just remained quiet and let him do what he needed to do and then comment at the end. Uh, it would have been fine, but. This is Bischoff's harebrained idea, so he's going to sell it how he wants to. For what it was, it was great. I mean, you got Scott Hall on the show twice. Uh, they closed the show with it, so you're not watching the final moments of Raw, or maybe you're not. If you're flipping back and forth and you see Razor coming back out, you're like, wow, well, I don't really care what's going on over there. Although Ahmed plowing a guy through the door at the same time this is happening, that's a, that's a win-win, really, on either, whatever you, were, you chose that night, I suppose. This is what DeMeltzer had to say about uh, this first edition of the two-hour Nitro. He said, aside from Hall's debut, the first two-hour Nitro confirmed all fears about WCW's inability to produce interesting television for that length of time on a weekly basis. With the exception of Hall, the first two-hour Nitro telecast by WCW is almost completely a dud, a combination of bad matches, bad commentary, little hype or excitement, bad interviews, and bad angles resulted in a two-hour broadcast reminiscent more of a bad episode of WCW's Saturday Night as opposed to the competing Monday Night Raw show. However, amidst the attempt at a cure for insomnia, so he's calling this episode of Nitro a cure for insomnia, basically saying it to put you to sleep, amidst that attempt was the debut of Hall done in a matter that is almost certain to be one of the biggest money angles of the year, uh, says Meltzer there. So... He's not kidding there. I mean, it's biggest, one of the biggest angles in wrestling history, really, if you think about it at the end of the day. Uh, but Meltzer crapping all over the show. And honestly, yeah, Sting and Scott Steiner was pretty fun. But when you go back through that show, there's a lot of misses. The Giant and the Shark, Craig Pittman and DDP. I don't know how Bobby Walker and Brad Armstrong even gets anywhere near Monday Nitro here. And I love Brad Armstrong. I got to agree with Meltzer that they've, uh, to a degree. I mean, uh, he's a little, he's dumpier on it than I would be. There's some decent things on here, but overall they do need to figure this out and maybe get a little better talent, a little better stories going here on, on Nitro. If you're going to run the two hour version, uh, I'm going to disagree. I, th I feel like there's more good than bad on this show. I don't, I, Obviously, I Scott don't see Hall. it. <laughs> like I, I scrolled through so many times. Yeah, I know Stinkin' Scott. Uh, I agree. I'm with you there. And, and Hall. I mean, you you haven't you didn't even mention the Ric Flair and Arn Anderson opening tag match. Like you just skipped over that one. 
Um, that was good. So the interview was whatever, but or the match with Alex Wright and Steve Eagle, I, I, I thought it uh, was okay. I didn't think that was I didn't okay, mind though. it. I thought it was pretty pretty clumsy. <clears throat> I don't know. You may be watching a different match than me, or we just have different, you know, different opinion on that one. That's fine. But I didn't mind the interview with Regal. I enjoyed watching Nitro. I thought it was better than Raw. I'll, I'll spell it. I'll spoil it. I, I thought it was better than Raw. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I think uh, my argument here is just uh, in the line with Dave. I'm not saying bad commentary and bad this and bad that, but there's just too much B-rate material right now on this show to, and you can have that, but there's just too much of it uh, to really make it flow at this point. Obviously, they'll fill that in with some, uh, you know, cruiserweights and other things moving forward, so it'll keep things lively. You know, and there will be downtime, too, when the NWA, like, tear apart buildings and things, unfortunately, but... That's just yeah. <laughs> comes with the territory, I suppose. It was, I it mean, was, like it was good TV then, I, I guess. I could see where he's coming from to a degree, but to completely trash every little aspect or every single aspect of the show outside of one thing is an agenda. It feels like an agenda. Well, there's always you, an you can't tell me you, you can't tell me Sting and Steiner was bad, and the only good thing on this whole entire episode of Nitro in two hours was Scott Hall showing up. There's absolutely no way you can say that. The opening tag was good, and the main event was good. That's what, what are you talking about? He's, he's given these classic matches eight stars nowadays. He can say whatever he wants. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's full of shit. He's full of shit. I just, I don't know. I think he's watching something completely different. I mean, I agree with him, but I, it's, again, you always talk about he states the facts and then he goes into his own narrative and you can't really tell where the facts end and his opinion begins. And I think he does the same thing here. He states half-truths or uh, opinions I can share, but then he takes it to that next level. He has to exaggerate it to where I can't agree anymore. Was it the most ideal two hours? No, but it was also their first shot at it. They get a pass with me. And it's live. Um, yeah. It's live. It's but, not like a canned nitro or Saturday night where you can edit it and do what you need to do to make it look good. But it's, there's still there's still a few names live. on here that they have no business I, on I, I, right I, I agree 100% with that. Bobby Walker has no business being on this show. Uh, you could probably, I get you want your world champion on there, and Shark's a big opponent. <laughs> so like I, I get, th- not a big opponent as in like a name, but the right. size. So you want to see yeah. the giant just pick a 400-pound dude up with ease and toss him around like he's a, a cruiserweight. Like, that's cool to see, like, to me. Like, that's something that's appealing to a degree. Max shouldn't be on this show. So, yeah, they, they obviously did some things wrong, but also it's the first, like I said, the first time on a live two-hour show, it's going to take a little bit to get used to. Vince and company sitting back for a year and a half learning how to do it. Well... I mean, what what can you do at this point? Just wait and see what happens because we're only a few weeks out from the uh, whole 83 weeks thing uh, starting up. Segment of the night, Steve. I mean, we've got the the American Males and the Horsemen. We've got Scott Hall showing up, which almost seems like it has to be the segment of the night. But then Scott Steiner and Sting in the main event as well. Who you got? Uh, For historical purposes, I'm going to go. It's Scott Hall by far. Like Nothing has a bigger impact on this episode of Nitro. But what entertained me the most, I, I I love that Sting and Steiner match. That first, you know, first eight minutes or so before they get to the finish was some really, really fun wrestling. It was a great match. It was entertaining. Sting was working like he was uh, 1988, you know, Dusty found him and made him what he was, that type of deal. So he was really, 
he was really putting on some moves and doing some stuff that we just had from Sting in a while. And then Scott was tossing him around like he's a jobber. So uh, they meshed well. The match went good, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was my favorite match of the whole night on either show. Yeah, wrestling wise, I, I you know that's the that would be my go to wrestling wise on the show is definitely Sting and, and Scott Steiner. But for me, segment of the night, easily both the Scott Hall things combined. I re, I just remember watching that when it when it happened, and I'm sure my heart was racing like, oh my god, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? What are, what what the hell's gonna happen here? I'm sure I was really into it and uh, excited because I was a Razor Ramon fan anyway. So I was a Diamond Stud fan. So you got to really be a fan of this guy if you're a Diamond Stud fan, right? And uh, so it was, it was just a pretty cool deal to see Scott Hall show up there and get things going. And it's like, I already knew Diesel was coming too. So I was like, where's Diesel? What happened? What's going on? So it had, had my interest peaked all the way through the show. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you could take your pick either way. If you're just going to pick a wrestling match, that's definitely the match to go to. And if it's, if it's just segment of the night for me, it's got to be just Scott Hall popping up like that. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, historically, there's nothing better than Scott Hall on this show. Like it, just the significance of the entire night is huge. It can never be overstated how important this night was for wrestling. If you get into it and you watch it, just not watch it for Scott Hall. There's a fun-ass Sting and Scott Steiner match. Yeah, that's true. You never really think about what else was on this episode. It's always Scott Hall's debut, right? <laughs> yep. But for right now... The ratings are in with WCW debuting its two hour format on May 27th. The WWF's live raw coming a day after a pay-per-view show that created tons of confusion and curiosity, but left viewers flat raw drew a 3.3 rating and a 5.0 share with Vader versus Ahmed Johnson as the headline match. The two hour nitro averaged only a 2.8. And a 4.6 here, that's that's 2.7 for the first hour, 2.8 for the second hour, with Sting and Scott Steiner as the main event. Uh, even the replay, did uh, it's pretty much doing uh, what it was doing before. It was doing like a 1.1, 1.2. So the replay at 11 o'clock or midnight or whatever that was, I think it was midnight, uh, did a 1.2 here. So Raw, 3.3. Nitro, 2.8. So Raw still winning at least this week. Of course, that'll change very soon, as I pointed out. But Raw gets another win. Don't know that I necessarily agree with that, especially the second hour. I feel like, man, Nitro could have done better number in that second hour. Uh, but it is what it is here this week. People got to get used to that new two-hour format. And remember, that second hour went up against Raw, and it stayed steady. So it seems like not only did it stay steady, it actually went up. The first hour, which wasn't running against the WWF, did a 2.7. So all of those people stayed on, and then even some of the others joined in. Uh, it might have been something to do with Scott Hall, but yeah, so they're they're catching back up to the wwf here yeah i'm not too surprised like you mentioned during the the nba playoffs like their ratings were down and you were trying to hype a two-hour debut when you went back to your normal time you know you're pushing something but half your audience isn't watching because you're on at a different hour or different day or things like that so it can negative negatively impact you but if you Let's say you're used to that, what was it, 855, so they can get on two minutes earlier than WWF. Right. Um, if you turned it on at 855 and they were already in the middle of a match, you're like, oh, shit, are they on earlier? So you may tune in the next week and see. So I'm interested to see if the ratings go up by much next week once they've kind of established that they're on an hour earlier compared to WWF. Because you'd think 
in your mind, like, okay, WWF had a 3.3, so those 3.3s should probably be watching Nitro that first hour. I'm not saying you should be at a five, but, you know, if half of them join in, you're pushing a really good number, and then it should flatten off a little bit in the second hour, but you're still going to get the wins because you have more time. Yeah, I I, I consider um, this, even though they lost, I consider this a success overall because they held that 2.7. Even if they lost a few going in and they picked up a little more to get that 2.8 in the second hour when Raw was on, for the most part, everybody that watched that first hour, they were WCW loyal. They were they probably saw Scott Hall or whatever the case may be, and they're like, I'm not flipping the channel. So they held they held steady. Whatever whoever that, that was watching the first hour, most of them stayed for the second hour, and then a few more even joined in. So I thought they did okay. They didn't win the ratings, but they didn't lose viewers when Raw came on either, which is a big deal. That should be the number one priority, to be honest, is to keep your audience, and that's what they did. Yeah, obviously work. you want to be raw, but you don't want to lose your audience either. So, and that'll work out for him in the wrong run, a long run. We'll see here at least at least for eighty three weeks. And I think you've already made your point here, Steve. I think you said uh, Nitro definitely won tonight for you as far as the real winner, as we like to do at the end of every broadcast here on Monday Warfare. Uh, you say the real winner here for you was Monday Monday Nitro simply because there was a Scott Steiner Sting match. There's the Scott Hall story uh, being impl- implemented here into WCW, and of course the opener, which was Flair and Anderson and the American Males, which was a, a good tag match. I just I don't know I don't know if it's what the deal is, but if you just watch Nitro, they're set. They're just the whole the whole nine yards. Like it just looks like a livelier place. It looks like a better party. It's brighter. It's it feels more enthusiastic. Everybody's young and appears young like Bischoff and the excitement because it's still new to them. So it just feels like it's a, a more happening place. And I don't know if that's swaying me these days or what the case may be. But I just I like Nitro. I just thought it was I didn't mind some of this stuff. Like I didn't mind Regal and Alex Wright. And I know you didn't like it, but I mean there's a few things on here that I really enjoyed. Raw like that opener with Warrior and Goldust kind of just kills you. It's it's hard to get through. The tag match was good. Uh, I'm not going to crap on it. There's some spots there that were a little sloppy, but overall, it was, like you said, it was a tag match in WWF 1996, and well, you didn't get that very often, especially with two teams that look good like that. Like you may get Body Donnas and the Godwins, and that's terrible. But these dudes came to work, and it was good. And then Ahmed Invader was awesome with the with the angle at the end. So it was. Raw wasn't bad by any means if you can get past that first 20 minutes, but it, I just felt like Nitro just entertained me more. Yeah, they had enough good stuff on there. I definitely, myself, I have to go Nitro as well, although I did love the Ahmed stuff <laughs> at the end of the show on Raw. I don't want to forget that, but that doesn't make an entire show, and that Goldust Warrior stuff just sucked the life out of me earlier on <laughs> in Raw. That's That's where we're at here for this week, so we're going to continue on with that. But uh, yeah, so thanks again for everybody who's been listening. Uh, Episode 20 in the books. It's our first two-hour Nitro episode here on Monday Warfare. We'll continue to do that every week. We're going to do another week of Raw and Nitro next week here as well on Monday Warfare. We're going to head into June of 1996 when we do that. So, Steve, man, I appreciate you uh, doing this with me here. It's been fun, man. I enjoyed it. I'm ready for the next one. It's uh, pretty interesting. Like I'm looking forward to this because I know everything, everything evolves. Uh, in both companies, but everything evolves in WCW really fast from this point forward. So going to be fun. Absolutely. All right, guys, for this week, we're on our way out the door here on Monday. Warfare, the battles within. 
Once again, Ray Russell and for Steve Ekstadt, thank you guys for joining us here again on Monday Warfare. And like it or not, we are taking over. I don't know what to say. We'll see you next week.